Hey people, welcome back to the Travel Commando Podcast. Today I am talking with Steve Solberg, professional comedian, host, writer, and producer about his recent trip to the Middle East. I was in the area briefly last year and I have a real interest in Steve's experience and observations. And you know, I just want to say this is one of the best things about podcasting. A podcaster gets to, gets to learn more and more about points of his or her own interest, and it's just an amazing experience to discover, kind of like being in a new place that one hasn't visited before. And now, Steve on Abu Dhabi. Steve, it totally makes sense to me that you went to Abu Dhabi because, man, just looking at you immediately, I think, <laughs> this guy's a catch wrestler. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I get out to the Middle East always. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I, wait, a catch wrestler. Yeah. I actually don't even know what that is. It, uh, Abu Dhabi hosts the International uh, Submission Wrestling Championships. And, you know, it's... The Submission Wrestling Championships. Yeah. It's, it's clear to me that you could <laughs> submit anyone you wanted to with a chokehold. Of course. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of submission immediately. wrestling. Yeah. I had no idea that they hosted that. Yeah, it's uh, one of their bigger events, one of their bigger international draws during the year. Oh, wow. How funny. I think they have almost everything you could ever want. That's what's so interesting to me about uh, sort of the the UAE in general. Just they have it. It's like, do you want it? Yeah, they have that. They have <laughs> They're big on cricket. Sure, of course. Why right. not? Right. But, yeah, you can do rugby there as well, and you could do uh, Formula Formula One racing. We'll touch on that a bit. Uh, we passed by one of their racetracks, and then sure. near where... So the main reason that I have been to Abu Dhabi, this was my second trip, oh. is uh, my younger brother lives there. And so it makes for cheap travel when you can stay with family. No doubt. And uh, so that's how this trip uh, kind of worked out. I just saw a cheap airfare to the UAE and went, hey, Nate, what's going on? And he's like, oh, man, you got to come out. Because he's an English teacher, and uh, it turns out that I went during his spring break. And so we sort of did a trip within a trip where their family was going to go to Jordan. So we also went to Jordan while we were there. But, oh, awesome. Uh, Awesome. He lives right near a uh, horse track, the Al Rayana. Uh, is that right? I think so. Al, no, Al Rayana is the name of the, the complex, I think, or something like that. Al Forsan, big horse track, okay, right next to where they live. And uh, it's just kind of interesting to see from that aspect where the locals live, uh, because so he lives in a big. Uh, community and it's it's apartments basically. Um, but so it was, expats working in Abu Dhabi, largely. He, yeah, mostly expats where he lives. Okay. Um, there was, I mean, there's quite a few like people from all over. Their neighbors were from India, and um, I don't know that they have any Emiratis live there. Um, there could be. But it would be likely that they would be just outside. I would think so, yeah. In, uh, in, I mean, it was still super nice. Where he lives, uh, it, it was a... He, he and his wife and two children live there. And they have a uh, four-bedroom house, five-bathroom. And that's just the way it is. It's like, sure, of course, every bedroom <laughs> would have a bathroom with a shower in it. Um, well, it's hot. 
Yeah, first maybe of all, you need to cool off at any point. But yeah, and and then you know, lots of like, uh, there's a big community pool. There's a big, um, there's a community mosque, and uh, and then some grocery stores and stuff like that. Just down the street at Al Forsan, uh, my brother explained to me that it, it was kind of big for a lot of people to live inside of a venue. So like Al Forsan is a horse park, but also next to it is a hotel, and then next to that is a bunch of community community housing. Okay. And so you would go in, and there's like a big gate, and that's your sort of gated community includes maybe a cricket pitch, maybe a horse park, maybe uh, there was communities right next to the Formula One track, which was, he goes, it's crazy loud when they go through. But it's not every, you know, it's like once or twice a year, yeah. but still... I can no longer remember where I saw this, but I have accidentally found myself in an area where a Formula One race was happening uh, mm -hmm. many years ago, and it was tremendously loud. Oh, yeah. Um, I had a friend who used to live like three miles from the Speedway in Charlotte, and that yeah. was pretty loud. But that Formula One race, just because it was in the same town or area where I was, was much louder than that. Really? Yeah. And I've been in Charlotte when they had uh, one of the NASCAR races through there. And that was, I thought, crazy loud. And then and and also was really cool to just see the community that popped up. Sure. Out of nowhere. All sure. of a sudden, everyone's driving around on ATVs. Yeah. And... Uh, but anyways, very cool. I didn't know that Formula One was louder. I think it would be cool to see one of those live. They had a everything in the in in the UAE is extravagant, and right. so they had a um, hotel that actually the government owns the hotel there at uh, the uh, the track, and part of the hotel goes over the top of the track so you could stay in a room that looks down onto the raceway which would be awesome i'm, I'm thinking it's unlikely that i could afford this room i'm thinking it's pretty expensive <laughs> yeah yeah wow that must be my gosh imagine being an arab or emirati horse racing enthusiast and having that imagine being a kentucky horse racing enthusiast and being able to go rent that room and, and oh yeah, that's an extravagant yeah. culture. You're right, and they love to do it. I think. I think it's always since my younger brother he teaches folks who are going to be um, entering the university there, and um, but they're local Emiratis going to university to go do like government jobs, and they need to learn English. So he teaches them. English so that they can pass a test so that then they can enter the university um, and he talks to his students about different things and one of his students had stayed at the um, the Burj Al Arab which is right. the gigantic <clears throat> sale one sure. up in Dubai and they were saying how you know it is of course it's ridiculously expensive um, and they, they do say that they go yeah it costs a lot of money and so you wonder, oh, do they even have any concept of what costs a lot? And they right. do. Um, at the same time, they're willing to pay it. And they were saying at the Burj Al Arab, your room changes from morning to night, the motif. So in the you'll go to bed and there's one, like, different plants and mm. art on the walls. 
you go to bed, you wake up, and then you leave for the day, and when you come back, it's a different motif wow. that night. The art on the walls is different, the rugs on the floor are different, and uh, they wow. just have redone the whole thing. It's a truly extravagant property, but, I mean, when you look at oil money, right, as Americans, we think we know what oil money means, right, because we know the Bush family, right, or, or, or some families like that, you know, Dick Cheney, people involved in the oil business, right? We think we know what oil money is if somebody has a few hundred million dollars, right? Yeah. That's not oil money. Not what, yet. What you see over there is oil money. And to them, you know, if a hotel room costs $14,000 a night and, you know, the family's bringing in $18 billion a year, it literally doesn't mean anything. It's just crazy over there. When yeah. you think about how much money there really is and you see places like the Burj Al Arab, who, which was built for people like that, yeah, it, it's a real eye-opener. You know, those people are balling, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> that hotel room could be a million dollars a night and they wouldn't care which is you know? our brains just kind of explode a little bit because you go that doesn't make sense but yeah, we don't have trillionaires here no no I think then, they do they I mean you see that the cars that you see mostly in Dubai Abu Dhabi has more of a a, a family feel I think like this is where people are still like living somewhat normal. The most right. common car that you'll see in Abu Dhabi was like a Nissan Patrol, <laughs> which is just like okay, or the Porsche Cayenne. So like, yeah. I a, see a lot of those here. That yeah, that's yeah. a very popular car here in in Salt Lake. Huh. Um, but yeah, like something that it it can handle like an SUV, but then also can move a good amount of people. And uh, that seems to be a pretty common car. Now, in uh, Dubai, you see the Lamborghinis, you see the, the Italian, like the Ferraris or, and stuff like that. Um, you see a lot more of that type of stuff. This is very interesting to me because I was in Dubai twice last year and never saw a luxury car. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, yeah. I was keeping my eyes peeled, You're of like, course. I you know, Sure. Um, however... I will offer that my experience downtown during the day was brief and limited, and other than that, I was in Dubai almost exclusively at night. Mm. But I did look, and I was in quite a bit of traffic gridlock, and I never saw a single luxury car. Um, however, that may be related to the fact that I was staying sort of on the border between old Dubai and modern Dubai. Uh-huh. Um, but it still struck me as rather odd because I was intentionally looking and I know they were there. Oh, right? yeah. Like in the area down around Dubai Mall and downtown Dubai, I'm sure I was surrounded by Italian sports cars and German sports cars and the finest cars in the world. I just didn't see them. We This trip, I only saw one Lamborghini and it did zip by us on, on just one random, I don't remember where, um... Last trip, I saw quite a few more, hmm. and I and I saw people showboating with them too. Where it was like you can tell they're kind of doing a slow roll, and uh, this I saw a gold Lamborghini there, and nice. this, these guys had parked right next to the beach, and so of course, like every girl that walked by was like, "Hey, what is?" Well, not just every girl, but I. What was interesting is 
everybody who stopped by was stopping and taking pictures. And then uh, these girls walk by and they're taking pictures and then all of a sudden the doors pop up the way that these uh, Lamborghini stores right. did where I don't know, it was like a, this one was one where it swings up like that not the uh, wings not like, the gold wings yeah yeah and um, and they let the girls sit in the car which I thought oh the advantages yeah of course I'm guessing these were tourist girls and not local girls yeah yeah, yeah. they're pretty all cute right. <laughs> well I mean Use what you have, I yeah. suppose. It's yeah, I guess so. Uh, probably, I mean, it could be they're so isolated, it's the only way they know to meet women. It's not inconceivable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so speaking of sweet cars, and uh, we touched on Formula One a bit, I have to ask you this about Abu Dhabi, and cultural purists, please don't be too quick to jump on me for this being one of my first questions. It really is, as... Steve's explaining a big part of culture in that part of the world. Did you go to Ferrari World? Oh, yeah. You know, my brother doesn't live too far from Ferrari World. They're about 20 minutes away. And we, it was on the list of things to do, but we didn't make it. We oh. uh, And it's funny because he has... There's like three theme parks that are right close to each other. There's Ferrari World, there's Yaz Water World... And now they're building a new one. I have no idea what it is exactly. Well, at least the details of it. But it's a Warner Brothers Studios, mm. and it and uh, but you can just see the building, and they're finished building it. Is it in? I don't think this would be Warner Brothers though. Is it in Abu Dhabi that they're doing the Star Trek theme park? Hmm. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I have to wonder if it's I, that. Would be Paramount though. I believe I could be talking out my hat. I don't know. It but, was interesting. So, so they're doing a, an MGM Universal Studios type of gig, it looks like. Yeah, something of that nature. And uh, something very Hollywood. And it's it is right there with Yaz. And uh, okay. and, uh, and so we did go to Yaz Waterworld on my last day there. All right. Um, and uh, just because I like water parks. And uh, he's got two little girls. And, and uh, so, of course, the girls wanted to go to the water park and have some fun. And that was... It was it was good. It's funny because there's things that we take for granted a little bit because Abu Dhabi has a unique organization where you have the Emiratis who are not going to do a service-based job. Right. Because that's, yeah, obviously that's not their station kind of thing. And then you have the guys like my little brother who are there working for the government Um they are making good money. They are not making Emirati money. Anybody who works there, any everybody who works there, a portion of your income actually has to go to uh, a UAE organization. So you couldn't go and start a business in uh, the UAE without a sponsor. Really? Yeah. You need you need an Emirati sponsor with everything that you're doing, and they will make a portion of your income. So you're talking about essentially an agent. Yeah, yeah, you need <laughs> in a, a way. You need a local agent. And it and you know and they huh. apply for licensure and stuff like that, but they don't have to really do much of anything. It's just as like, okay, we need to have you represent us and you get whatever percentage 
of the income. So it keeps money going. For being to... Emirati by birth, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's... I'm, not, I'm. who am I to judge, I suppose? Yeah, it's, it's good to be Emirati. Right. Uh, that seemed apparent when I was there. <laughs> it's it's very good. Now, the, the next class is a huge uh, gap, and that is the working right. class. And... Um, they are from Pakistan, they're from the Philippines, they're from India, uh, they're from Africa, and they get paid, I don't know how much, but I get the feeling that they get paid a little more than they would get paid if they were staying home. Okay. And when we say a little more, it might even be double, but even still, it might equate to where it's like, great, now you're making, you know... 40 bucks a day. And from the Emirati perspective, it's absolutely nominal. It is totally nominal. Right. And they live in an area called Worker's Village. This is playing right into a question I had for later in the interview. This does exist like it does in Dubai. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Worker's Village is totally the slums. Um, And it was interesting to see Worker's Village because... uh, No, I mean, it's it's not uh, dangerous... Or, right, or anything. I, right, and I had that impression of old Dubai as well. Yeah, that it was that it was not obviously as glitzy and glamorous as downtown, but I certainly never felt endangered or threatened, even walking the area at night. Yeah, yeah. Everybody no, was quite friendly. Uh, in fact, th- there's no ghetto. Right. I mean, in terms of like when we go, this is the ghetto, and you got to be careful or whatever. Um, there's none of that, but there is definitely, like, this is not an, as nice an area. Sure. And it's funny because it's right across the street from where they, where all the Christian churches are. So the Christian churches are given nice. an area to be, and it's like, okay, here's the Methodists, here's the Baptists, here's the Mormons. And they're all boom, 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 really tight together, and they're all really tall. They built their buildings really tall because they don't have, the footprint is so small. Right, of course. And uh, and then right across the street is Workers Village, and so um, I I ended up going to church there, and it was kind of fun to see a ton of the um, workers would come to church. A big part of it is all these Christian churches, you know, would have a lunch after or something like that, and it was you know it was packed with these workers who were like, and. They all, what was interesting to me too is they all wanted to take pictures with me. We kind of joke in in Utah, you can see especially people being like, I have a black friend or whatever. Well, I was the white friend. Right. I've I've heard very similar stories from everyone I know who's been to India. Yeah. That the locals will clamor and kind of fight each other to take pictures with the uh, pale-faced Tourists, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, and I'll maybe talk about this a little later because it was interesting to me. My nieces are two blonde-headed girls. Very fair, but like very, uh, they're super blonde. (laughs) Whatever that is. Toehead. Great word. We'll go with super blonde. Let's keep that. Super blonde, yeah. They're very smart, though. (laughs) I don't know why. That's the worst. Um. It's staying in. So... (laughs) They, but they would stop tours. People would, when we were in Jordan. Really? They would stop and everybody wanted to touch their hair 
and um, take pictures with them. And my sister-in-law is kind of adopted, where she'll just say, because the people will be like, can we take a picture? And she's allowed the girls to have the choice. Of course, the girls are, are pretty friendly. And so they almost always say yes. I saw them say no a couple times. They're like, no, I don't want to take a picture right now. But most of the time, you have these people going, please, can I Stupid take a picture? Stupid paparazzi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, uh, but it cracked me up just because I was like, oh, I didn't ever think. It's a fascinating phenomenon. I mean, we certainly don't experience or have that perspective here, right? We don't. We, we should, I've thought of a new business. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, we need to get about a four foot high pile of blonde hair and just, just start selling go. lockets to the Emiratis. <laughs> They, yeah, and that was also what was interesting to me, though, is the, the affection shown to these little girls was not exclusive to women. Um, sometimes I think we tend to, like, like women in the U.S. will appreciate children, but it's not as often like men. Hmm. I, and I, I don't know if that's a fair judgment, but it was uh it just the only reason i thought of it was construction workers stopped doing construction <sighs> and they're not catcalling this 4 and 6 year old right. they go oh hello baby so cute and it was like really i would never see that i i think i would never oh, see yeah. that in the us no i'm pretty sure you're right unless the baby was doing something extraordinary and they weren't you know we were just walking down the street and yeah. the guy puts his shovel down and comes over and uh, wants to say hi and shake her hand. It sounds very sweet. And that was what was so neat because it was like very sincere, very sweet. Um, there was a lot of cheek pinching going on. That seems to be a thing. I think it's universal. Yeah, yeah. And but it it also like opened up my mind a little bit on where we tend to. Um, we have the Middle East in our head portrayed as the ones who are wanting to blow us up and yeah. don't like us <clears throat> and hate Americans. And, I mean, we, of course, we're very clearly Americans as we're walking down the street. And everybody knows it. And they are not being mean to us. They're stopping and saying, hi, how are you? Can I take a picture with your daughter or whatever? And, and not... You know, just being very friendly and loving, and uh, it wasn't what we, I think, perceive Middle Eastern people to be. And this was um, obviously outside the neighborhood where your brother lives that you the, would encounter these. That happened the whole trip long. So that okay. was in the UAE. That was in Jordan. Um, that was oh, wow. everywhere. In fact, it was even maybe even a little bit more so in Jordan because the UAE, I bet, has a lot more. Um, diversity just because of all the expats who are there sure. whereas Jordan is a little bit more like I they get tourists for sure but not um, but their society is exclusive yeah and we opted to drive which was uh, uh, risky uh, not as many people drive most everybody takes buses there if you're on a, if you're a tourist you're gonna take the bus we drove and I think that that was the next level of interesting, like, discovery of the nation because uh, of the country. Because it was just so, like, lands or whatever. You make them up. 
And if you want oh to my... turn left, <clears throat> yeah. you just decide this is now a turn lane, <clears throat> and you stop. And you turn your blinker on. Now, uh, I'll, I'll probably share this photo with you. I took a photo of it. You see three cars who have decided to make a left turn lane. And you have one in the left turn lane. And then you have another who scooted right next to that one and is kind of towing in. And then a third one who's even further towing in on that and just all scrunching up near where they would turn left. And that was how it went. You just kind of decided. Imagine this <clears throat> same situation with the infrastructure completely crumbled down to rubble in the road from whatever used to be there, whatever overpass or off-ramp or whatever used to exist, and everybody behaving that way as far as you can see in traffic, and you have Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's, I bet that's Egypt. It was sounding yeah. really familiar to me. Yeah. And so I didn't drive at all in Dubai, so I didn't have to deal with that. I was in very serious gridlock in a cab. But it sounds like it's just uh, common to that area of the world, maybe. I, and you do I what should, you want uh, in traffic. I should back up. The, the bad driving was in Jordan. The UAE was not great driving. I mean, you could make up rules as you went. However, but there were lane markings and there were lanes. lights and signs and yeah. rules to be followed if you chose to adhere to them. Right? That's right. Okay. And people kept the speed limit there in as much as they were not near one of the speed cameras. So they don't have a police force that enforces. So somewhat like here. Yeah. Other than an absence of roving police officers. Yeah, we don't have roving. There was none of that. And huh. everybody knows where the speed cameras are. And it's funny because everybody goes about... Um, the speed limit is usually 120 kilometers... And everybody goes 140. And then um, that was just the agreed upon. And, and you won't get a ticket if you're going 140. Now, the Emiratis will go 160, 200. I mean, they will sure. zoom. And they will definitely, they flash their lights at you. And the thing that my sister-in-law would always say, she's like, you have to drive in your rearview mirror. Because you'll get people who will come up on you really fast and they get very angry if right. you don't. And they'll flash you. Uh, with their lights until you move. And those are typically natives. Yeah, and they will go through these these uh, ticket points, right? Because who cares, right? That's just like, that's right. a toll road uh, to them. Yeah, again, exactly. That's, I think, as accurately as you could have described it. Just it's less than through. pocket change, yeah. Yeah, why bother? It's like a turnpike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um I had a friend growing up whose uncle got pulled over three times at over 125 miles an hour driving from Arizona to uh, California. And the oh, last Lord. officer told him, you drive like a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> and well, uh, I guess if, if, if you're a rich man, you drive like a rich man, right? Golly. It would be nice, I think. But at the same time, I don't trust the, U I don't trust the other drivers in the U.S. to respond to it. And here I do think people, I don't think they're good drivers per se, but they are aware of people who are going to want to go fast. And, uh, and they accommodate it. Well, it's also, you know, kind of a different thing when you have a Lamborghini rushing up on you at 200 miles an hour than when you have, say, a Corolla rushing up on you at 105. Yeah. If yeah. even that, right? 
Um, there's just a certain attitude associated with the profile of the vehicle in your rearview mirror, I think. I think so. You yeah, know? you go. Okay. If somebody's coming up on you in a Lambo doing 80, you're probably going to think about moving over. Yeah, you yeah. let that happen. Oh, excuse me. So, yeah, Waterworld. Yeah, I... I... It, it makes perfect sense to me, Steve, because I know they have mermaid school there, and as soon as I see you, I think, this guy's a mermaid. <laughs> uh, he definitely has half a fish. Um, yeah, they do. They have the mermaid, and you can dive for, um, you can dive for pearls. That's yeah. true. And they really do that. My little brother did it. Not when we were there that time. He was telling me they went, um, somebody, uh, was doing a surprise birthday party for his wife and they had rented one of these little cabanas kind of thing and, and that was included and you get to dive down in this, I think it's probably about 15 feet deep and it's a tank and you can see through on both sides of it. One side has like a lazy river so you can kind of watch these people diving or these mermaids as they do the mermaid show diving and then on the other side is a, a small little you know amphitheater with benches and um so he said he dived down and collected about four or five different pearls from the clamshells and when you finish they go cool they want so, the pearls back yeah oh yeah, my they, god they uh they let you um I, I i'm still yawning a little bit oddly enough I've been back about a week now. I'm not yet a week, but I can still I still have the jet lag going a little bit every once in a while. Um, I, I get it, Steve. When I came back last year, this happened to me like 18 times. Yeah, I would nod off for a second and snap to, and have no idea what the hell was going on, what time it was, what day it was. I would have to go look out the window if I couldn't tell if it was day or night. It's a different level of jet lag. Your body feels weird and kind of prickly for a while. Yeah. Like, what am it, I doing? It, it was not like Europe. It, it was a different jet lag, for sure. What I've been told is you need to exercise in the city that you are in. And so that's what I've been trying to do. It's like go for a run in the morning kind of thing. But I think that's just good advice in general. It, it still hits me at weird times of the day, but... Um, so the pearls. Yeah, they only let you keep one. That's... You get to keep one even if you collect a bunch. <laughs> I love it. But they're using uh... you as labor. Yeah, yeah. You just and they're making them. you pay, right? I assume you have to pay to do this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah nice. for sure. That's a good one. But they, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good place. They have they have some fun attractions. At the same time, I think they also um, the the working class, right? They uh, there's always a language barrier. Everywhere you go, nobody speaks English great. And so when we were getting tickets, it was just a ridiculously long line. And, of course, these people are trying to upsell you on whatever. But uh, they just... It was always this weird struggle. And it's a water park, not like um, a famous monument or... uh... Yeah. Ancient city or anything. It's just a constant hassle, even though it's already a commercial venue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's totally Western. Lame. I mean, this place is very, like... Well, have you been to uh, have you been to Schlitterbahn by any chance? I have not. I just... I feel like there's probably some, some comparison there, and I know that they have, you know, at least 
uh, one or two very similar rides. Like, I know there's a ride at uh, Yaz Waterworld where you get flushed out into something essentially like a giant checkerboarded toilet bowl at the end. And that's a very Schlitterbahn yeah. uh, type of ride. Um, is, is Yaz Waterworld more for kids or adults? Um, I'd say it's a little bit of both. I mean, there's a kid's area that we were playing with our, our younger kids. I would definitely say teenagers would probably be more okay. like the great... That would be the the favored demographic. Super wealthy Emirati teenagers? Yeah, they they love it. <laughs> Coming with 50 grand to but yeah, if you're, play uh, around with for the day? If you're like a, a random 30-something, like me, without kids, it's weird. <laughs> I... Could see where even there you might be considered a creeper. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> Potentially sure. if you were alone. Uh-huh. Um, to what degree is modesty of dress observed in Abu Dhabi, and to what degree is that suspended at the water park? That's uh, interesting because, I mean, you have people, again, from all over the world, and so swimwear for someone from Europe is very different than swimwear from someone from yeah. the Middle East. I think that's about the most drastic comparison there could be, right? And you'll see both. I mean, you'll see the people who are wearing... It's not necessarily like they're wearing, like, the G-string kind of thing, but but they'll be pretty revealing swimsuits. Um, I would say just swimsuits that we just wear in the West now. It seems like that's kind of almost the style. Okay. And then you'll have people who are definitely... Um, to their wrists and to their ankles yeah. and have the head covering as well. Crazy. I have seen a woman swim in essentially a hijab. Yeah. You know, yeah. modified for swimming. They had actually quite a, quite a few of those. And uh-huh. what's interesting is, like, you don't even really notice it. I didn't find myself going, whoa, she is dressed <laughs> all the way to right. her ankles and to her wrists. I didn't even think about it, really. Whereas if you went um, to a water park in Texas, it might cross your mind. Right? Yeah, you, you might go, that. that's different. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I kind of liked that, though, that it was just like... I get it. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. She wants to wear that, and she wants to wear that. I do think that um, it opened me up to how we are trying... Like, I'll see this on Reddit a lot, where they're like, Saudi Arabia is going to ban the you can now you don't have to you can show your hair or whatever and the hijab is no longer a thing and it's clear that these people who are posting this type of stuff are just looking for attention on social media Mm -hmm. because in reality these folks it's part of their culture and a lot of them if you said you can you don't have to wear a hijab they'd be like okay cool I'm still wearing my hijab yeah I'm still gonna wear it it doesn't matter to, to, to you Right. It's super important to me. Right. My culture. This is the way I'm going to dress. I mean, it's and it's not forced on them, right. especially in the UAE, where uh, it's kind of decided by families. I think okay. they say this is how our family is going to do it. But even then, I I get the feeling that uh, that they're very. Lax. Now, I I don't I don't know. That yeah, lax I'm sure is the there's right some word, degree but... of margin, uh, particularly in the UAE. Even if it's a 
kind of a family guided decision once people reach adulthood it seems like they have much more margin there than in other parts of the arab world i'll say that's right you know certainly even just there's a tremendous contrast to be drawn between the crowd experience in the dubai airport and the cairo airport for example oh yeah probably a bit less of a contrast between dubai and abu dhabi Uh um probably more observable on the familial level that you've described where you see family groups together dressed similarly uh but differently than other family groups you know and one of the times that the dress was the most interesting to me was seeing um because emiratis very much have a look and it is if if you're a man it's the white Mm. robes with the white or red uh hair covering and a black or maybe red uh, tie around the top, and um, and then the sandals, and then uh, if you're a woman, it's the black hijab, and depending on where you're at, how much how hair much covering, face, sure. and maybe a facial veil, maybe not. Right. Um, what I saw when we went to uh, Global Village, which is a big shopping area that features. Uh, just countries of the world and their wares from all over. These people come from Afghanistan, they come from Egypt, and they stay in Abu Dhabi for four months and sell every day at Global Village. And then they put on shows, and uh, it's it's really great. It's Honestly, I would highly recommend it to visit because it's just... It's fun to see all these things, and, and it's not from... I mean, some of it, I'm sure, is where you go, yeah, this is stuff from China, this is stuff from India. But, You're uh, referring to the mass-produced goods. That's right, right. Okay. yeah. Um, but I loved going to, like, there was, uh, Morocco had some really interesting things, and it was like, mm. this is from Morocco. And while we were there, my sister-in-law and brother ended up buying a, a nice Afghan rug from Afghanistan. And, uh, I mean, beautifully made, and it was... They told him it was 90 years old. I don't know if it is, but honestly, it didn't look brand new to me. It was kind of funny. They were looking at all the rugs, and they had a rug laid out by these chairs that was just sitting there, and they you know, were pulling these rugs out. Do you like this one? No. Do you like this one? No. 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 It doesn't really fit our house. Finally, my sister-in-law goes, you know, this one right here I really like that you guys have just for the front of your store. Is this for sale? And they went, yeah. Yeah, this one's older, though, and that's why we weren't going to sell it, because most of them were dual-sided. Right. And and the color would change because of the way the weave was, but they were like, this one is actually only one-sided, and that was sort of an older way of doing it. Uh, but they, they ended up buying it. Beautiful rug. Not super cheap. I think it was still about, um, oh, gosh, probably like six $700 American. But for the nice Afghan rug that it was, I mean, it still is authentic, right. beautiful. Anyways, I, I got kind of sidetracked there. Um, the uh, Emiratis there, Global Village, this was a hangout place. This was a place to go and see shows. This, for the locals. For the locals, yeah. And you just come and you enjoy. Um, they have a big uh, grassy area in the middle and then shows on a main stage. And then all around it is all the different countries. And you see the Emiratis walking around, 
You're, and, you're almost describing Epcot Center, but I have a feeling it, <laughs> it's not very much like that. Yeah, well, maybe. I've never been, but um, just the Emiratis there would be every version of it. I saw guys in the black, uh, no, not black, but the white, uh, I don't know what it's called. but like, Jalaba. The Jalaba, the, the kind of <clears throat> robe-looking thing, and then a baseball cap. <laughs> I saw a little of that over there as well. And I went, okay. It's very interesting. And then uh, the dressed up, if you wanted, but you still are wearing the robe because you want to. There's there's a degree of respect that you get when you are like, look, I'm an Emirati. It's like, okay, you're gonna get served first. You're gonna get like that working class that we were talking about. They know who brought them there, and they right. know who to take care of. And I saw that at the store a few times. And honestly, you feel like a guest in that country anyways. And so you go, yeah, that's fine. <clears throat> but sure. yeah, if you go to a, like a, a fast food place and an Emirati is waiting and you're waiting and nobody knows who got there first, the Emirati is going to get served. There are no social justice warriors in the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are not. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's a little bit slanted. The women there would wear, this was interesting to me, is that you would see the hijab, uh, or no, you would see the robes, black robes, but they are zipped open in the front. And then a very stylish outfit is underneath with super fancy heels and like modern jeans and whatever modern shirt that they wanted to wear. But they still wanted the, they almost looked like graduates at the end of graduation or yeah. something like that. But they wanted the black robe on because that says, I'm Emirati, and I'm going to get that, you know, recognition. And uh, wow. and they were dolled up. I mean, they kind of looked like Instagram girls who had done their face huh. with a lot of makeup and stuff like that. So that was interesting to see that. Also, that side where it's like... That is interesting. You get every side. But also, at the same thing, at Global Village, you'll see people with... Uh, the facial veils and everything to the nines. And um, I remember my first time went, I, this was my second visit to Global Village, I accidentally stepped on someone's uh, skirt kind of thing. And uh, I went, oh, I'm sorry. And I reached out and I touched the person's elbow. As you would in the States. Mm -hmm, yeah. To apologize. And yeah. my little brother said, that, I mean, it's okay to say you're sorry, but definitely don't touch. Yeah, wow. Um, now, would that have applied if the person had not been a native Emirati? Would it have still been considered questionable behavior? Or was it exclusively because of that person's status as an Emirati? I think it was because they were an Emirati. Wow. And the other thing is, is they don't want you to take pictures of Emiratis without their permission. And that is actually a jailable offense. So that is one that is taken So if you took a picture seriously. of a public monument, for example, and there were Emiratis there, could you conceivably be arrested, or is it more That's where you taking get away a picture of an Emirati specifically to photograph that person? Like if you saw a cute Emirati girl and you photographed her, that's a jailable That offense. is jailable, yeah. But not if you took a group photo and there were Emiratis there. Yeah. For example, um, my little brother went to, so we'll probably talk about this too, um, the Louvre now has a, um, a partnership. There are they, questions in this interview about the Louvre, Steve. We went, <laughs> we went to the Louvre Abu Dhabi. 
All right. And so my little brother had went there before, and he was there with his work group. Now, everybody he works with, um, the majority of them are Emirati, and they're in traditional uh, Emirati wear. And uh, they anywhere they stopped, people would fake like they were taking pictures of the art or of the sculpture. But he goes, I knew that they were taking pictures of this huge group of huh. Emiratis. Um, and it's interesting because you like at the at the store you'll see like plush Emirati dolls, like dressed up as the locals are dressed, and so you can buy an Emirati doll. But to take a picture is a huge no-no, and so, they will put you in prison for it. Are the are the dolls intended to satisfy these people's curiosity so they won't take pictures? I don't know. That's I, remarkable. The dolls were as funny to me to see. Celebrities should try that here with the paparazzi. Just give them little dolls. I took pictures of the dolls because I felt. What like did they I say about that? that? That seemed to be allowable. Allowed I, to I, me. I feel like that must be a gray area. But yeah. No firm ground on which to stand. Like Global Village, I noticed. I mean, I had my cell phone out taking pictures all the time because I loved the lights and the, the yeah. they've they've done a good job of, in each area. They'll have like Egypt has pyramids, for example, and I'm taking pictures of the pyramids at, in Egypt in the Global Village. But I have all these Emiratis walking around, and I had my camera up, and I remember seeing one person kind of looking at me like you're not taking my picture and I'm like kind of angling it up to be like no this is for this and and then other people kind of shielding their face wow. um, so every every Emirati when home thinks he or she is Barbara Streisand uh, yeah apparently yeah. and I mean quite an attitude there is a lot of uh, I can see why they made the rule because there is it would be annoying to there, there's a lot of people visiting from out of the country who are going to want to take their the, picture. The simple fact that people would do it kind of compels the rule. I do get it. Yeah. It's, it's just, <clears throat> it seems a bit arrogant, but if yeah. people are doing it to the point that it's a problem, well, then the rule's necessary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, it's a little difficult to relate to, right? I guess it's sort of like trying to imagine if you were just an average American, right? You or me. And every time a tourist saw you, that person stopped to take a picture of you. Yeah. You'd probably want a rule in place to prevent that. Like, quit taking a picture of us you know? when we go eat hamburgers right. or whatever. Right, uh, Madonna or Justin Timberlake might welcome it, but... <laughs> and I, I don't know... Person. In talking about that rule, too, that they would put you in jail, my little brother said, you know, I don't know anybody who's gone to jail for that type of thing. Um, but I've always heard people tell the story of somebody they knew. And he goes, right. so everybody has a story of somebody they know. He goes, I've never known anybody personally. Well, people probably so. do some pretty egregious things to get pictures. Right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I imagine. So I'm curious about this. How did Global Village smell? Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it's outdoors. So um, there wasn't any like. Were there a lot of cooking stalls and? There is, yeah. Huh. And um, that's I think where they make a ton of money. And we had we had dinner there, and it was awesome. I would and it was only think so. Uh, what do they call their uh, <clears throat> Durham's? Is there? Yeah. Their... There's a bowl full of them behind you, actually. 
I'm both full I'm of both full of Durham's. Not everybody Durham's has and that. Durham's. This isn't your regular interview, people. We got dinner for pretty cheap. I think I spent twenty five Durham's on my meal, and it was really good. Um, but uh, but yeah, it didn't it didn't have too much of an odor. Okay. I think probably because everything is very open air. Yeah, like there's no. Yeah, there's nothing that's not. And that's why, actually, the weekend that I was there was the last weekend. Um, they run, I believe, December to April. Okay. And then they shut Take it Take note of that, listeners, if you're planning to visit. Yeah, because any other time it's too hot. And so, just <laughs> For them or down. for the uh, tourists? Uh, probably both. I mean, I wonder. Even, uh, even the locals don't love the crazy hot. It's, I don't know how hot it gets. It was warm when I was there. You know, right. we were at uh, uh, almost 100 Fahrenheit while I was there, and this is the beginning of April. Yeah, I, I think it was in the mid-90s probably when yeah. I was over in the Middle East. And I don't think I ever saw a hot Emirati. I definitely saw hot tourists. Um, and we're still on temperature here, people, not personal attractiveness. <laughs> Uh, and in Egypt, I think I saw my guide get hot one time. And other than that, I don't think I saw any Egyptians who appeared to be, you know, about to pass out or anything. But I didn't find it to be the kind of heat I imagined either. Mm. Uh, there was one morning I was a little sick from the heat. But other than that, um, you know, I didn't... It just wasn't the blast furnace that I expected. Yeah. But that was also May. You know, like in July, who knows, right? I was surprised that uh, I didn't ever get sunburned. You didn't. I, I mean, I was pretty careful. I'm a little surprised with the as well. Sunscreen and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I never was burned. Um, I'm much more likely in Utah to get s- sunburned. Well, there's a d- dramatic elevational difference. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think that's. And it. I don't feel like. This is going to sound odd, but I don't feel like the sun over there is that intense. Yeah. Um, like in Mexico, for example, the sun is, in my opinion, much, much, much more intense than it was in the Middle East or North Africa. Huh. You know? Yeah. Um, seems odd, uh, but that was my experience. And there's also this to say, there was never a moment that it was overcast, right? And you probably burn a little more easily when it's overcast, like it gets in Utah. Yeah, yeah. We did not have a ton of overcast days, I think. There were some. There were people in Egypt who seemed to genuinely not know what I was talking about when I referenced rain. Really? Yeah. I, I, I am pretty sure I met people who had not seen rain in their lives. Huh. Yeah, and yet nobody has a sunburn. Right, including me. It doesn't seem right. That's funny. It doesn't they seem didn't. right at all. Um, so that's... Uh, back to Yaz Waterworld. How big a relief was it to go there? Um, during Do people I mean, go as a tremendous relief from the heat? Or is it just a commonplace activity that they do because it's there? In the summer, it is a big like heat relief. The biggest relief that Yaz Waterworld would be is actually during Ramadan. So during Ramadan... When um, they're not even drinking water? None of the <laughs> businesses, yeah. There's 
almost no businesses will serve food. Yeah. And uh, and so either you're if you're not Muslim, you eat in your home. Yeah. Or um, there are a few businesses that will have like an open section. Like, where it's like, okay, you can come in, but you have to go behind these curtains and eat. You can't be caught eating in your car, eating or drinking in your car. And I did, Nate, my brother Nate, did have stories of, of friends who were pulled over during Ramadan because they were taking a sip of a water bottle. And nice. so, but because That's Yes Water World is a tourist attraction, they will allow. Like all the restaurants at Yaz Waterworld are open. So, this is the okay. Well, if they're so locals will go on Ramadan because then it's like, well, we can eat and drink <laughs> whenever and not feel bad. I am, I am familiar with a Mormon who um, is described by everyone in his family as appearing to believe that the laws and restrictions associated with Mormonism end at the Utah border. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this is the Islamic version of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, as long as we get is. inside Yaz Water World, we're good to go. If we're in Yaz, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. We can't be seen any longer. Yeah, right? they allow that. that. So I, I know it's a, an escape. I'm sure it's a heat escape in the summer as well. Well, and it's not... Um, am I right that it's not just... I know it has has like... 10 of the world's best water slides or something like that, right? But it's not just a water park, right? There are aerial parks and roller, or aerial rides and roller coasters. And yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff too, right? Yeah. They had, uh, I guess, one roller coaster that we went on a few times. Um, but but for me, mostly it was the, the water park and stuff like that. Is that the most, um, the most popular aspect of it, the water uh-huh. itself? Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I bet, you know, we're really surprising some people right now because nobody thinks of Abu Dhabi the way we're talking about it, right? <laughs> uh, like a fun, adventurous destination to go have a wild time. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I bet most people don't think of it that way. They think of it as a very restrictive, suppressed environment. I mean, know? there's things you don't want to do for sure. Uh, no there's doubt. There's other things that it's like, yeah. But as long as you stay in the lines, you can pretty much do what you want, it sounds like. Sure, uh, sure. If you don't step on any Emirati toes. That's right. You know, and if you do, don't touch them on the elbow. Right. Don't, don't grab their elbow. Well, especially if they're a woman. Uh, that was that <laughs> was, was that the, the issue? I think that was the main issue. Okay. Um, so the park, along with Ferrari World, and I think some other parks are all part of Yaz Island right that's right yeah and that's essentially an enormous zillion acre entertainment complex like yeah. something something uh, that disney would build right am i yeah there's a builder who build who builds all of that and i forget the name of this builder i i had written it down even but but yeah there's one builder who kind of has built all of it Pretty much, and builds other similar facilities elsewhere. Um, it might be all there, all dark. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, and and the UAE has a number of different ones. I mean, Abu Dhabi has a few, and then also Dubai has a few did, different builders. Did this guy build the indoor ski facility in Dubai by any chance? Do you know? 
That I don't know. I, I didn't go see that when I was there, did you? I, I did not. I'm sure it's pretty impressive. I don't know. I think we've pretty much actually exhausted my knowledge of Yaz Island other than the fact that it looks like a set from David Lynch's Dune. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Other very science fiction looking. They've, uh... Yeah, they do a good job. It's pretty fun. So, in any of these countries that you visited on this trip, but primarily I'm referring to Abu Dhabi, did you hear and were people observing the call to prayer? Um, yeah, I would hear the call to prayer a lot. Um, in Abu Dhabi? In Abu Dhabi, In the UAE, yeah. okay. Yeah, because um, I, I know it's, it changes with the seasons, but it's early. I mean, the first one was around 5 a.m. or something like that. And I think they do five, maybe six call to prayers a day. Yeah, five a day. And I we saw uh, people observing it all, okay. all the time. Um, yeah. Do you recall observing that in Dubai? Um, not as much in okay. Dubai. Well, one of the reasons I'm asking is that it was extremely apparent in Egypt. All day yeah. and all night, every day and night, I would hear and witness people responding to the call. I don't remember hearing the call to prayer once in Dubai or seeing anybody praying, but I may have. I, I did notice this, though. Um, among the provisions of my hotel room in Dubai was included a prayer mat. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it was definitely part of the culture and they anticipated people I mean responding uh, to the call the um the global village is in Dubai and um when it was called to prayer while we were there they shut down the stage and it they hmm. had a big um there's a big screen on the stage and it just said prayer time really and so I mean there is for sure that's a little still there 1984 <laughs> was, in a way that's, <laughs> the, wow and the interesting thing about the cult of prayer is not I mean it's not like you have to do it during this time to this time the main thing I think was tr to do your prayer before the next call right and that that's more or less how it was explained to me um mm -hmm. In in Egypt, I definitely saw people literally, not in mass, not all over the place, but I definitely did see people literally drop in the street in response to the call to prayer. Mm -hmm. um, but I also saw many, many people who I knew were Muslim uh, not responding. And I knew that the manager of my hotel was very devout, and he did respond. And when I asked him about it, that's more or less what he explained to me. Yeah. And I assumed everyone was going to be very devout after my first personal experience with it outside my hotel room, which was actually in a Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, very close to the pyramids, where I had to wait to return my tray because a gentleman was blocking the tray return having rolled out his mat in front of it. And oh, wow. was responding to the call to wow. prayer. Wow. Yeah, so... Right there. It's, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting disparity, I guess. So, yeah, I never saw Dubai that. Between Dubai and even other places in the UAE. 
we did see like some gentlemen on the side of the road one time hmm. doing their prayers, um, but there was never like you were walking around people or hmm. anything. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it was quite at that level, even in North Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I didn't have to step. I had to wait for one person to finish praying. It was, other than that, more an observance, not an inconvenience. Now you know? on our our flight from Abu Dhabi to Jordan, we flew on Etihad, which is right. the uh, the main airlines out of Abu Dhabi. Right. And um, before you started the flight, there was a, a flight prayer. So before the safety video, there would be like, and now a prayer. And it was in Arabic, and they had a prayer on the plane. And then um, there was one setting on the screen, and I took a photo of it because I thought it was interesting, that was um, that was said which way Mecca was. Because, huh. I mean, if you're in the air, right, yeah. and you're supposed to face Mecca, you, you go, well, what way is Mecca? And so they had uh, a flight tracker, which every flight tends to have now, right. and a Mecca tracker. And it would show you which way Mecca was in orientation to your seat. So there was metadata on the Mecca data? Yeah, yeah. That's so meta Mecca data. Really interesting. Which I really thought that I don't was kind think, of cool. Actually, I'm going to rephrase that. I was about to say I don't think they had that on Emirates, but my guess is that they most certainly did, and I just didn't know it. Yeah, I mean there was there was like goofy little things that I liked. I liked to take photos of um it was the year of Zayed and I thought that was interesting that um they had a theme for their year. I've you know, their country has a, a theme and yeah, it was the year of Sheikh Zayed and then hmm. like I asked uh, my brother about that, and he said, yeah, like the year before was the year of giving, and this year is the year <laughs> of Zayed, and, and it just, uh, it switches around like that. And That's pretty random, yeah. So, yeah, like that was everywhere. You, you'll you see, I t- showing okay. uh, Jim here a photo on, on the, uh, that was the computer screen on the flight. It says year of Zayed, and then... Um, we'll put this on uh, the Instagram Mecca later for the listeners. Yeah, and so here you can see the flight path. You have the choice between the flight path and the Mecca pointer. And then everything is in uh, Arabic there where it's saying this way's the direction we're flying. And, and, then and there's the Mecca. Needle, the needle below shows wow. Mecca. Yeah, and how many um, kilometers away we were, which was kind of interesting. Well, that's just astonishing devotion. Yeah, yeah. You know? You know, and seeing that, I I kind of liked seeing that, you know? When you go, that's... It made me respect it. It made me respect him more, just to say that something was that important to him. I yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely got that when I was over there as well. I, I, I will also offer this. There's a difference between what the media shows us and what's really happening of course right and uh i mean when i was on the ground over there i saw all day every day muslims and christians in the streets getting along side by side just fine Mm -hmm. with no issues i even had a muslim christian uh guide pair right the actual guide 
was Christian and the driver was Muslim. Um, spent all day, two days with these guys. They were good friends. Yeah. You know, and I didn't see a whole lot of friction in any of the neighborhoods where I was between these groups. I'm sure there is some. And I also, you know, I can't offer any commentary on what it might or might not be like to possibly be Jewish in that area. Right. I imagine that's probably a different experience. I can't say I, I did encounter that, but everywhere I went, Muslims and Christians were getting along side by side in the streets with no issues. Yeah, yeah. We, in Jordan, on our last day, um, and I might, I might be jumping ahead here, but, um, we, uh, we went to supposedly the spot where Christ was baptized in the Jordan River. Um, it's interesting because my sister-in-law got her degree in archaeology. So she is nice. somewhat more, um, skeptical a little bit on any point when well, they go this, this is definitely is... where this sure sure yeah. like the the temple mount and you know yeah it's all a little slippery isn't it yeah <laughs> and she goes ah well sure whatever you know i mean it says the river jordan and this is the river jordan right. so um and they have kind of built up a spot where the river used to be it's dried up uh where they say this is where he was baptized i mean when i was there it was a mud puddle huh. um but uh they have sort of a little like almost baptismal font that they've kind of made right there that water would flow in and out of it and then they have a uh, remnants of an old church that's um since fallen and you wander around the path and then there's a spot on the river that is actually um because the river jordan is the dividing line between israel and jordan and so on one side is Israel, one side is Jordan. So we are, of course, on the Jordanian side. And it is, uh, the Israeli side was very nice. It was, they had a building there that looked like it was modern and, you know, had AC. And then they had these nice brick steps um, leading down to the water and then sort of a viewing area um, where you could watch. And... The Israel side had a ton of people getting baptized there. And, of course, I was there on the... This is, uh, I think, the day before Easter. Oh, So wow. I'm yeah. guessing it was probably a pretty packed uh, time. Prime. yeah. And it was kind of funny because all these people getting baptized... Uh, I was talking to my little brother about it, and I was like, where do you think they're from? And my little brother's like, Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all, from, all the from Atlanta. Likely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you just see all these, like, you know, uh, people who are American, for sure, and uh, getting baptized in the Jordan River. and Because um, they want to be baptized right where Jesus was. They, they want to get baptized where Jesus was. And it sure. was a little interesting because some of them opted to wear nothing below their... They had these white sort of smocks that yeah, it looks like yeah. was provided. And uh, and I thought that was an interesting choice to not wear anything underneath. Have but you maybe never that, been to a wet t-shirt contest? Uh, the, you... Yeah, it was like the spiritual wet t-shirt <laughs> contest uh, that was... Uh, more wet bums is what you yeah. was, was featured. Yeah, that's how they like it in... Israel? Larger gentlemen with wet bums that you went. Darn it. I'm not going to that contest. That. Yeah, it was That my wouldn't favorite. have been any fun in college. 
But it, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely interesting to see. Of course, I mean, and uh, I, I'm sure you stood there captivated for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, I took a few pictures just because it was like this is kind of kind of wild to see these folks yeah. do this, and um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was one of those parts of the trip that we weren't super impressed with. So it's funny that I'm talking about it now. We left because we were almost late to our flight getting back to Abu Dhabi because of it. Because it took a long time and it was just kind of like, I mean, it was cool to see the Jordan River. But at the same time, it was like, oh, I would have spent a little more time at the Dead Sea yeah. or something like that. Because we were at the Dead Sea the, the night before. And I would have done that twice. Because we did the whole, when we went to the Dead Sea, you got to hop in and... Uh, then you can cover yourself in the Dead Sea mud, and they say leave it on, and then you go rinse it off in the Dead Sea, and that, I mean, was worth it. That if you're gonna go over there, I say yeah, hit the Dead Sea. To me, that uh, mm. was definitely worth it. We spent more on the hotel there, but honestly, it wasn't. It was under two hundred bucks, and it was a super nice hotel. Yeah, that's actually a. A little bit of a pain point for me because my first big international trip was supposed to involve uh, staying at a Sheraton resort on the Red Sea that was so nice it had been featured on the cover of Architectural Digest. Oh, wow. And I'm a snorkeler, and that yeah. would have been my first experience with real snorkeling uh, on the reefs in the Red Sea. Yeah. And uh, that trip was planned for April of 2002. So in September of 2001, that plan oh, of course. concluded, yeah, and became a, was shifted to a plan for a European trip. Yeah. Um, and the only real pain point, you know, associated with that is uh, the loss of that visit to the Dead Sea in that resort. It's yeah. It's a fairly dangerous place to go now. Yeah. So, and this was, uh, this was on the Egyptian side. Um, uh-huh. So I kind of envy you. In a way that you've been there and gotten the experience of cork bobbing. And the the floating all of that. is insane. Yeah. I mean, it sounds funny. Have you been in the Salt Lake? I've I've been to the Great Salt Lake. Have, have you? And I've gotten in. in what's, it. what's the comparison or contrast? To me, I mean, now I. It was a long time ago that I got in the Great Salt Lake because okay. it's funny. I live here now, and I walked out in it last April. Just for whatever reason, I don't remember why, but I was like, I'm going to walk out in it. And um, it feels, I don't know. It To me, the Dead Sea felt more buoyant than the Great Salt Lake did. Okay. I don't know the salinity content and right. the comparison. Um, because what was funny to me was uh, my brother and I did this where you we actually turned over on our bellies and pushed the water with our uh, arms and our legs and everything, it looked like we were, like, sledding on the water. We're that huh. high out of it. I mean, it was so funny. I mean, you're still Yeah, I don't think you could do that on the Great Salt Lake. Yeah, the the buoyancy was insane. Wow. And uh, your your midsection... That's where they need to train astronauts. Down. Yeah. Not yeah. in a tank in Houston. At the Dead Sea. No doubt. And their That's skin amazing. will be great. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I I loved that aspect of it. It was, um, and then also it doesn't smell. Salt Lake, yeah, has um, if you've it ever stinks. been Don't to the be Great shy. Salt Lake, yeah, it stinks. 
We we have the largest concentration of brine shrimp yeah. in the Great Salt Lake of anywhere in the world, which apparently I did not know this is a big uh, money maker. Oh, it totally for, is because uh, that's like shrimp eat brine shrimp, and uh, if you're going to farm shrimp, they're going to eat brine shrimp. It's likely that anytime you've had farmed shrimp, the brine shrimp that those shrimp yeah. ate were from the Great Salt Lake. Yeah, and that is worldwide. There is uh, also a fair industry in sending them out to pet shops uh, for sale to saltwater fish keepers. That's right. And they feed them to their fish. Yeah. Um, yeah, brine shrimp actually is a, a fairly sizable industry. Everybody, you know, seems to associate, obviously, the salt industry, right, with the flats and, uh, and yeah. the lake. But yeah, brine shrimp's huge. I, I don't know why we don't have the tourist industry. I mean, we used to. With the great salt, the great salt air is that what it was called? Salt air, the salt I guess. air, uh, salt air venue. Yeah, 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 and it still is a music venue. But it, you look at old pictures. Yeah, and it was like someplace royalty it would was. go in Europe almost. I've seen the pictures you're talking about. Gorgeous and looking. I, and I, I don't know enough about it to know what the draw was. I assume the draw, in large part, was the area mm -hmm. um, and the salt flats and all that, and you know whatever. Factor mythology may have been associated with immersing oneself in the water, um, but also that building back in the day must have been pretty spectacular. It's quite unusual now. Yeah, it, it looks like something from Abu Dhabi. Yeah, right, they right, have, right, like, right these here. Unique architecture features that look very Middle Eastern. Yeah, and it was it was the place. Yeah. And and now I don't know if it's industry that has polluted the lake. But what's interesting is is I don't, as we were driving, we drove up from the south to access the Dead Sea. We were coming from an area uh, called Wadi Rum, way down south. Oh, okay. About a four-hour drive. Yeah. And um, the we passed a ton of industry that is along the, um, the Dead Sea. Different uh, potash places and stuff like that. And so, and something about Jordan tells me that they don't really care that much environmentally about things, you know. And uh, that was what was cracking me up a little bit. Not cracking me up, was interesting, again. When we see on the news, we see, look at this Middle Eastern town that's been bombed or whatever. Some of these towns we would go through looked like those towns. Yeah. I was like, this, had, this yeah. wasn't bombed. This place wasn't bombed. Right. Why does it, like, have piles of just dirt and cinder block everywhere? Yeah, that's Egypt, too. Just crumbling infrastructure. It's just the way it is. And that's how... The government's falling apart. The it's developing really... nations are, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the government... And, and that's what I hear. They, they, they go, well, it's... it's uh, They've got other things to worry about. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting perspective. There are, and I'm going back to Egypt again here, a lot of problems at the pyramid, at the pyramids rather, that I feel like Egypt should be getting on top of and working with UNESCO to repair. But anyone who's been there, I think, would agree with this statement. No matter what one's perception of the problems out there is, by the time one has gotten halfway through Cairo to go to the pyramids, that person has realized Egypt has far bigger problems. 
You know, right. and that very well may be the case with what you've seen too. Right. As big a problem as it looks like, it may be a small problem on their, you know, spreadsheet. Yeah. <clears throat> it, and it, honestly, it might not even, they might not even see it as a problem. Right. That's possible as well. And they've become so adapted to, like, the type of driving we were talking about, for example. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I would have to think that. I mean, past a certain point, to a lot of people, the recklessness and lawlessness would become desirable. Maybe even a little addictive. Sure, sure, where it's convenient to, uh, if you're going to do construction or whatever, you're going to dig a pit, and then you're going to have a huge pile next to it. Yeah. And that was interesting to just see. So no one's going to move the pile of fill? Right, yeah, it never happens. No, that just stays there. Next to the hotel in Jordan, it was, yeah. it was might a even be, big pile of dirt. It could be corruption. I mean, we'll likely never understand how those systems work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's, it is an interesting phenomenon. Um, so in Abu Dhabi specifically, overall, you know, you've basically kind of described what traffic was like. How intense was it overall? Um, it, uh more severe in uh, as you're getting into the city uh, and stuff like that along there's sort of a waterway right there where it was a little bit more packed in the city there Um, and then as you go I'm trying to think of the name of that the the road that they we would travel on I'll pull it up here on Google Maps but um, but it wasn't horrible. I mean, traffic wasn't great for sure, but it wasn't. Uh, it for sure was never that bad. I think in Abu Dhabi, Dubai was worse for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this road here, I'm seeing it as marked as the E10, but that's not what it's called. Sheikh Zayed. Uh, yeah. Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Street. Sure was a, a busy one and that one would, would kind of take you around um, you know to to the heart of the city there um, I, I certainly agree with you about Dubai I you know people talk about LA I've been in LA a lot in my opinion Charlotte and Atlanta are much more difficult to deal with than Los Angeles and Man, what I saw in Dubai at rush hour made those places look pretty smooth and easy to navigate. See, and that's the problem is that it's never laid out logically. Right. Is you have to... It did seem like a mass rushing to a middle that didn't exist. Yeah. You know? You'd, You'd have to pass your point almost every time. To get to where you need to go, you yeah, turns yeah. are what you yeah. like. You can never turn left or right when you want to. It's like okay, there's where we're going. Yeah. We're gonna now drive down the street one kilometer and turn around, and, and now we're gonna pass it again. But we have to come back on this road. It, to it, access. I, I know you're gonna know what I'm describing. It seemed to me quite often like we would make three rights instead of a left. Yeah. Oh, every time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and. uh and I mean, they have they use a lot of roundabouts, and the roundabouts are good, but they don't they don't always provide the access to where you want to go. Right. And um, and I don't know that that's the roundabouts. I guess it's just the the exits that they have, um, for. Well, all these things probably street. weren't built at the same time, of course. Yeah. You know, and that's probably a little bit of an issue. Yeah, stuff doesn't link up. 
Right. And where my little brother lives, we would always have to drive down the road, around. And they said, they, they go, people used to always hop the curb right here. Um, and everybody, that's why everybody has these SUVs. Because they are constantly hopping curbs huh. and stuff like that. Uh, that's crazy. You get an SUV so that you can go out in the desert uh, and do bonfires or whatever, whatever. you want. Yeah. And then uh, also to hop curbs. Huh. And it's mostly to hop curbs. Well, and if they have a lot of roundabouts, you know, you're going to do that thing like a big truck would and put your driver's side tires up on the middle section. Yeah. And probably a lot easier in an SUV than a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, we did we did quite a bit of curb hopping, yeah. which was interesting to. So your brother's catching on to the local ways. They said uh, he and his wife were like, "We will drive like this here, but we'd never drive like this in the U.S." That's amazing, but that's uh, that's amazing. Expected a little bit there. Yeah, I, th- I think I feel like that is the case in a lot of places. I think people drive in Paris when they drive there in ways that they would never drive here. Sure, know, maybe in New York. Or DC, but yeah, yeah, just kind of take the restraints off and go with the locals, right? Yeah, sounds yeah. like your brothers learned it. They part like uh, when they're picking up the kids from school, kind of thing. That's uh, they're hopping curbs, hopping curbs. <laughs> that was something that was nice. interesting to me about the school. Um, and I don't know if this is worth bringing up, but I their school had a large wall around it, and then and it was high. And there was a security guard at a checkpoint. And it had me thinking a little bit because right before I went, we, of course, had that shooting in Florida. Yeah. And everybody's like, we need to to ban guns and et cetera and so forth. And uh, and whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with whatever we have to do to end the shooting. But I did think that the walls, not to, uh, not, I think a wall would be an interesting idea. Like you're saying to to bring that system here, yeah, to and have simply wall in the wall in a school. Yeah. Granted, it'd be crazy expensive. But well, I most think... elementary schools now are fenced in, yeah, um, because of all of these shootings. Really? But yeah, but I mean, but it's to, not to your like point, a, a fence, fence is not a, a lot of them are. But oh, not, that's probably good. not like what you're talking about. Not like 13 feet high. Yeah, they were you high, know, and probably, you know, obviously not as safe. Um, and closing a property off with a fence isn't the same as closing it off with a wall, is it? Yeah, I mean, I nobody wants... I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I, I have a vibe that nobody wants the Trump wall thing. Yeah, it seems like that's the case. It seems kind of a moot point. Um, but I think a, a, a wall around schools perhaps... With respect perhaps, to these shootings. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The one, wor- the one worry I would have about this really isn't the forum for us to get into this particular thing. Yeah, of course, it's totally but, different. Um, my one worry about that would be, what if somebody got through with weaponry and then, then that person then couldn't get out? In. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, um, it's it, a that's true. It's a difficult issue, and it's an issue that a lot of other countries don't have to deal with. You know? No, I, I, it, it, they would not deal with it there. For I sure. didn't see a single gun in Dubai, as far as I recall. I think you're very safe. In Dubai, I think and so Dhabi. too. You're, you're, there was never a time where I felt like, whoa, this is. Yeah, I don't know what I would have had to do to feel like I was going to go to jail in Dubai, other than something, you know, some catastrophically stupid, like, you know, don't do drugs in Dubai. That would be don't do stupid. drugs in Dubai, you know. No. But like, as far as just general 
miscreant behavior, I don't know what I would have had to do to go to jail there. But there's also, it just seemed like so much less temptation to step out of line there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And everybody seemed kind of content. I would guess, like, I don't I don't know. Maybe being super intoxicated would probably be a bad idea. Sure. I, yeah, I would think they would take you in for that. Theft, obviously. Theft would be Vandalism, a really bad you know. idea. Yeah, um, I think maybe the worst. Maybe worse than drugs or, yeah, you know, other than really serious crime. Um, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I think it's a much safer society than we have in general. Sure. And a lot of people here consider the Middle East to be kind of a barbaric part of the world. Um, right. I mean, but... the Code of Hammurabi, you know, nations that still live by that, yeah, that's a little barbaric. Um, but we're not talking about that kind of thing, you yeah. know. Uh, I think I would feel safer walking around at night there not knowing where I was than I would feel walking around with a lot of places I know pretty well here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I felt that way in uh, in Abu Dhabi, and Dubai, as well as in Jordan. Oh, really? And Jordan was wow. a little more developing and run down. Yeah. But I also felt safe there. I think Did you feel was, safe because they protected tourists or because the society seemed safe? Um, I think the society seemed safe. Okay. Like, I don't think that they are doing a lot of crime there <laughs> to each other or to tourists. Right. There was one moment where um, in um, Petra where the guys... So this is the thing with Petra is that there's only one way in and out. And you walk down a large, uh, a long dirt path that's probably about a mile long, maybe even a little more. Um, and then you enter a canyon, and then you have another long walk to the main treasury at Petra right, that we right. consider the big part. Yeah. So there are people who are going to try to sell to you horse rides, carriage <laughs> rides, of course. Uh, donkey rides, camel rides, the whole way along. And um, we were like, no, no, no. And they go, well, the horse ride down is free. All it takes is a tip. It's not free to come back up the hill. And uh, that's not true. Of course, it's free both ways. And uh, they just want to tell you that because they want you to take the horse ride down because they figure at the end of the day, you're going to want the horse ride back up. So uh, we decided to use the horse ride back up and then do our tip then. And it's the end of the day. We had walked around a long day. And uh, the guy put me on the horse, put my niece on a different horse, and was like, hey, this is going to be, it's a, it's a tip. So can you pay me now? And I was like, mm. uh, I guess. Let's do 10 um, dinars. Which is still very good. And that was going to be for me and my uh, niece. Yeah. And he's like, no, this is not enough. This is, yeah. no, 10 I, is not enough. And I'm like, I know where this is going, like, kind of. <laughs> Come on, it's five each. That's plenty. And five each, that would have been seven bucks each. This is like, honestly, it's like a five-minute horse ride. Yeah. Up the, up the hill there. And he starts to look at my watch. And starts to take my watch off. And he goes, I want to see it. I want to, I'm not going to take it. I want to see it. I just want to see it. And I'm like, no, you're not taking my watch off. And he's like, 
Okay, so we need the tip though up front. Yeah. And uh, this is where I this was like I'm embarrassed because this is the part of the trip where I was like, dang it, I am a dumb tourist. That embarrassment is how they get you. You feel <laughs> embarrassed and you feel stupid. I felt suddenly that I was having to compelled. protect my watch. Yep. And um, and so to get him to stop messing with my watch, I take out uh, all I had was a twenty. Yeah. And I was like, can I get 10 back? And he's like, I'm a very poor man. I live in a cave. This is yeah. all I have. Please, just as a gift. And so he did every move. He did the embarrass me. He did the make me nervous because he starts to like fiddle with my stuff. I don't think he would have stolen it. He he knew what he was doing. Yeah, But yeah, he's just Part like of... throwing me off. And he put me on the horse already. That's... One of the big things. When, and so, you, when you said you were already on the horse, I knew you were already in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're up on the horse. My niece is on the horse, and she's away from me. And it's over, so, then. like, everything about the scenario was yeah. meant to make me feel very yeah. uncomfortable. They played you expertly. And uh, and so, uh, and and then the final sell was just saying, I'm very poor. And I was like, fine, take my 20 bucks. Did did he try the uh, take it back if you're unhappy? No, no, he didn't no, no, do that no, one. Yeah, that... So, well, and then we took the horse ride to the top, and he tells me, he goes, please don't tell your brother that you paid me $20. Yeah, of course. Just tell him that you paid me 10 yeah. and and that would be fine. And so that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been taking so much. Yeah. He even knows that I'll be embarrassed to tell my brother the amount that yeah. I just paid for this guy and my niece. And... um. And then he wants starts to fiddle with the watch again and goes, I want to buy it from you. How much can I buy the watch from you? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, the watch is not for sale. And he goes, how about your hat? I have to stay out of the sun. Can I buy your hat? And I was like, no, that, it's just a baseball cap. But I, I like my baseball cap, so I'm going to keep my watch and my baseball cap. That was definitely the most uncomfortable I felt the whole time. Um, I went through all of that in Egypt and more. It's they will try yeah. to sell to you a lot and the whole time and and you have the habit of just saying no thank you which feels like how we're going to say it and we think you're going to tell a salesperson no three times not even close oh my god it's three times so is off. not enough yeah they they're masters at it it's like every time you say no actually encourages the scammer more right yeah especially if you say no thank you then they hear the positive end of it yeah of course and uh i even had heard some people are like yeah you want to get to the point where you can just almost uh like i wouldn't do this but they're like yeah sometimes you almost have to push push people away i, think I almost did yeah i i kind of get that well and they will push in you know, oh, yeah. in my experience, and it sounds like in yours, they will get physical to draw you in to whatever type of scam they have going on. Uh, they definitely you know? will. My little brother did one thing that I thought was interesting. He said, I'm going to start saying not even for free because they will start to haggle with you even hmm. before you even when you say no, 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 no. If they can say a price that you go, no, then they're like, great, I got them. So this one little boy was selling me uh, postcards and I didn't want any postcards. And he's like, you're a nice man. I can tell you would like this. 
and uh, I I kind of joked. I said, "How do you know I'm a nice man?" <laughs> and he said, "You have nice face." Good call. And so then the the uh, the little guys like, "I'll give you this for five dinar, and give you another extra thing of postcards." And then uh, my little brother looks at him and goes. I'm sorry, not even... He doesn't say I'm sorry. He just goes, not even for free. And immediately this little kid goes, you shut up. You shut up right there. You're a bad man. You're bad. And he goes, you're ugly. Get away. I am talking to him. And I realized that I was like, oh my gosh, I am the sucker, Yeah. of course. But it was also funny to me that that like broke his sales routine. And he got kind of fierce with my little brother calling him an ugly man and being like you shut up and yeah your like, brother's learned a lot he knew he, <laughs> he knew you had to just like this is how you stop it you know and sometimes that doesn't even work i'm i'm i kind of feel like you were lucky that it stopped the guy but it kind of seems to me what happened is the guy understood your brother was very in the know yeah and that that's that's where the line was really drawn is oh there's someone on the scene who knows how to do this yeah right and he was young, this kid. I think he was just learning how to be his, you know, the the Petra salesman. And uh, and so when he said no, not even for free, it like broke him. He was like, "Wow, man, can't beat this guy." Yeah, yeah. I just wow. It's just uh, the intensity of it is so amazing. And again, you know, I mean, I understand it's all born of poverty, of course. I think. It would take a lot to miss that, you know, but it's, I feel at times as though I want to take UNESCO to task, um, over these situations at their sites. But, you know, as I mentioned a little bit when we were talking before the interview, their area of actual responsibility for that kind of thing is a little nebulous to me. You know, I look at proposals they've made for different sites and effects they've had at different sites, and it seems 50-50 to me. They both seem to indicate that UNESCO would have tremendous power to stop this activity and that they might have none. Yeah. And it's just a shame that visits to these amazing ancient places are so easily ruined by these touts. And if not ruined, dramatically affected. My my sister-in-law, when we first got to the treasury at Petra, which is the the biggest, sort of, it's the most photographed part of Petra. Yeah, of course. Um, and she wanted to take it all in. She, you know, received her degree in archaeology. She said, I've been wanting to go here for 16 years, and I finally got to go. And the second I got to go, I'm being bombarded for camel rides. Yeah. That's exactly how and I felt about the pyramids. All these things. And, and the Sphinx. She finally would just say to everybody, no, just let me enjoy this. And then when she would say that, they'd go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, enjoy, enjoy. Contact me when you want to walk up to the monastery, and I'll give you a donkey ride or whatever. And it was like, okay. But, yeah, it was kind of difficult. Even still... With all of the people, I still say it was worth it. I mean, there's enough yeah, people that you can, yeah. you can blend in. I think this is one of the things I advise people to do when visiting a site where this is likely to happen. You have to take a dummy wallet, 
put a few old expired credit cards in it or, you know, whatever, <clears throat> possibly even fake ones, like the ones that come in the, the offers in the mail um, that aren't real cards, anything like that, a little tiny bit of cash or no cash. And when these people initiate the operation, you just take out that wallet, open them up, open it up for the people, show them what's in there. And if it's nothing, turn the thing upside down and say, this is exactly how much I have to spend today. Yeah. And, you know, the person will either see that you have no money and believe it and move on or will figure out the scam, in which case you were screwed to begin with because that person was too sharp. Yeah. Um, but I do highly recommend at least trying that. Taking a fake wallet, nominal amount of money, if any. Yeah. You know, or what you're actually willing to give or spend. Yeah. Because um, I can tell you, for example, at the pyramids, those scammers are determined. Their goal, they are going to do it, whatever it takes, is to take a minimum of 300 American off of everybody who comes through the gates every time that person comes through or the equivalent in that person's national currency. It's no joke. 300. Minimum. Wow. Minimum. Um, so they got to be and, making pretty good, right? Uh, there are, are far fewer tourists there right now than there have been in previous years. But uh. if each scammer gets one person a day, that person's making average income by American standards, you know, by yeah. United States standards. So they're doing good. Um, it's and and I know that it's everywhere. I know it's not as intense everywhere. Um, but what you Everything you were describing at Petra, I knew how the story was going to end. Yeah. You know, and how it was going to develop. Well, and this it, is what very was, sad uh, and disturbing. Was, was upsetting to me was there, you have the guys who are doing the horses and the donkeys and all mm -hmm. that. And it's funny because he's like, I'm very poor. He probably was actually quite a bit more wealthy than just the fact that he owns a horse. Right. Right. <clears throat> um, I'm sure he's less wealthy than any of us here in the u.s right but probably not by his local standards but locally he's probably doing really well um and then you have the people who set up shops along there's a ton of hikes to do all through petra there's so much honestly it'll probably take oh, a couple of days that. oh my gosh and so they'll <clears throat> set up uh shops there's a monastery that you can hike up to that's um actually taller than the treasury and it's amazing. I definitely recommend hiking up to the monastery. Um, and uh, we can even talk a little bit more about sort of just some of the different sites and things like that. But um, the hike up to the monastery uh, takes probably, I don't know, an hour. Um, and you pass tons of little shops. Uh, and they're all selling things. And we ended up running into this lady. Now, this wasn't actually at the monastery. This was over on the other side. There's another side called the uh, the Wall of Facades, I believe. And it's just like tons of huge facades that the Nabataeans and Romans had built. Um, different burial sites and different who knows what the heck uh, they were doing them for. But a lot of them they figure were for burial sites. Not figure. I think they knew. Um, but anyways, we passed by one of these and this l lady who was in the shop, uh, stops us and she's like, is it spring break or something? Why is there so many kids here? 
And we said, yeah, we're on spring break from Abu Dhabi. And she said, that's why. There's so many families here. Because she had noticed the my nieces. <laughs> and uh, we get to talking and we said, where are you from? And she goes, I live here. I teach the women who work these little shops English. Because uh, it would help them for sales. And uh, we said, how much do they make a day? She goes, maybe one or two dinars in this shop, this lady. Uh, there's so many shops that some of them get, you eventually get so good at saying no that you pass the one on the trail up to the monastery or by the wall of facades and you go, no thanks, you know. And they don't speak that much English so they can't engage. And um, so some of them make a ton of money. Horse guy who's trying to like, distract you he's gonna try to take your watch off and then he's gonna say okay i didn't steal your watch but i did get 20 dinars off of you for a stupid horse ride um whereas this is other lady she doesn't have she knows to say it's hot huh do you want a fridge magnet (laughs) you know and she can't sell anything right and so she's living in poverty for sure so it was an interesting trade-off. I would have much rather personally financed her rather than horse guy. Horse guy, yeah. Um, but such was my mistake. Um, I later on tried to, to to buy. Some of the things aren't cheap, though, even still. Um, you know, I wanted a watering pot. And I was like, how much? And they were like 70 bucks. I'm like, this is a very expensive watering can. <laughs> I don't want to spend $70 on a watering can. They're like, but it's fine brass, you know. And Okay, I'm sure it is. We have brass. Yeah, we <laughs> we have brass back in the States. So I ended up buying stuff from uh, the Global Village was where I ended yeah. up buying things because it was much cheaper. And, um, and Jordan was featured there. So I was like, why not? Right. Why not just do it there? And the goods came from the same place. I think they did. I would say. I think they definitely did. Um, The things that I thought were fun there was, um, if you're looking to buy or whatever, there was a spices uh, guy, which to me was kind of cool. Yeah, I I looked for that as well. The idea that Petra was a big spice trade area, I thought that's kind of cool. At the same time, I ended up not buying from that guy, but he was very well-spoken and a good salesperson who like. Well-spoken is a funny way to say that. I mean, he just knew his stuff. He was like, this is used for this, this spice I get from this trader down here, and this is this, and so he knew what he was doing. And I got the feeling that he he did pretty good business. Well, and one of the things it sounds like he did is something any good salesman would do, and as he developed and learned, he... You know, acquired the ability to ask to answer all questions before they were asked, right? Right. You know, he's just going to lay it all out right there where you can't possibly have any questions. The only thing left is, are you going to pay me or not? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, in fact, I was going to buy from him, but I didn't have cash on me at the time, unfortunately. So that's my thing: is I'll I'll do um, two pockets where I go. Here's the cash that I want to spend. Yeah. And then here's my actual wallet. And then I'll pull the cash out and go, this is all I got. Uh, and then... Did you see anybody reach into a tourist's pocket? I didn't, no. Oh, yeah, it happens. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Very atavistic, man. 
you know? I it, But we can't imagine that life either, right? Sure. So I died as emotional, I guess, as I can get about it. I, I still try not to be judgmental, but it's hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when you're talking about the wall of facades, you know, and the treasury, obviously, you know, most of us, certainly most people from the States have only seen the treasury in movies, right? Or maybe sure. the occasional documentary where it in fact looks like only a facade. How far back into that mountain does the treasury actually go once you walk inside it? So the treasury, you can't walk inside, unfortunately. If you could, does it go back into but the mountain, or is it more or less a facade? It does go back in. Okay. And What's uh, the reason that they don't let people in? Preservation? or? I'm sure that's what they say, but I don't know. Um, it's interesting. They're keeping something in there, man. Because there's some things that, that, that you go, this isn't being preserved. I mean, there is, right. in fact, not just some, there's dozens of things that are just lying out. That right. you go, this clearly is a column from you know, 500 AD and it is on the side of the road and doesn't matter, whatever, you know, so that there's, it's interesting what is preserved and what is in the elements. Um, the treasury, you, you the, yeah, you can only walk right up to the front of it. And then it's interesting because right huh. up at the front, you can see that there is further down some stuff that, um, there's another, like doorway type entrance down below in front of the treasury. They say that um, only about 20% of Petra, the whole park, is uncovered. Hmm. There's 80% of it that is still hidden from us. It could likely be true. And uh, I think that the treasury might have that. If you consider that it, mm. it's been okay. years and years and years and that it is at the end of a canyon, that if you ever get rain, for sure you would have it. It would come through that canyon and the end point would be the treasury. So it's likely that it actually goes down even further, but it's just that that's where ground level is for us now. Yeah. But it might have actually been like 20 feet further down. And uh, and now it's just like that's ground level, and so they they have started to dig some of it out. It seems, but they stopped, and have just put like grates over it. And the main part of it is what you see featured hmm. in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Right, right, right. And, Junior. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Jehovah begins with an I. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so you think maybe they've discovered something there and. They're keeping it to themselves. I, I don't know. Maybe. It's, I as, mean, I, it's as possible as anything else. There's always... They you know? say that there's um, the funerary urn at the top of the treasury. And they there's... Legend has it that there's stuff in the funerary urn. But they're not going to check. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. But you can guarantee they've checked. The interesting thing is... is uh, I don't know. Petra seemed... Like, I mean, if you consider it's it's a national park sort of for Jordan, but you never see national park staff or anybody. You just see the people who are in there selling stuff. And um, I guess I saw a truck picking up garbage at one point. So that was nice. But I mean, 
there was something to the effect where I was like, I bet the locals come down here to party once once nighttime hours happen. Yeah, oh my gosh, who knows? You know? Yeah, and who knows what goes on? Hang out, and and there is definitely graffiti on uh, yeah. some things. Where isn't there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's just one of those unavoidable tragic shames of human existence mm-hmm. you know everywhere i've been that there shouldn't have been graffiti there absolutely was yeah, yeah. and to think of it at the treasury at petra is just luckily i didn't see any on the on the treasury itself but i would bet if you could go inside i, I oh, have yeah. no doubt where they all go and party at night I'm or whatever sure. they're doing yeah I'm of sure. course sleeping bags and Southern Comfort bottles in there. <laughs> if I if I was a Jordanian kid, I would definitely be tempted to to do that. And that's what's interesting is is doing that when you think in your head like all that I enjoy and stuff like that. We kind of got into that conversation with my younger brother where we we talk about the one percent in the U.S. and how much they've ruined it for the rest of us. And of course, we are the underdog in that story. But going to Jordan, this developing nation um, that's not third world, but it's not first world. Right. And um, realizing that to them, I am definitely, without a doubt, the 1%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am the 1% for sure. That's definitely another component in the reason that the touts target you so atavistically. Sure. You know, they don't know. I mean, they hell, they could know. You could tell them. You could make nineteen thousand dollars a year in the U.S. and they would come after you like you were a billionaire. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and not understand, legitimately not understand why you didn't want to just give everybody money. Sure. You and know, th- there is definitely a, a skewed perspective there. Yeah. And it's not even just money, too. I think it's opportunity because even if I go look, say I was in medical school and I'm like, I am in you know, hundred thousands of dollars in debt. But they go, yeah, but when, you, you know, you, you'll get out of it though. And it's true. You yeah. will eventually. At the same time, I'm not saying that our system doesn't still need reform and, right. and, and, uh, help. But, um, well to a Jordanian as well, that's going to sound like, you know, my gosh, how much money do you have that you could afford the, <laughs> Two hundred thousand dollars in debt, right? Yeah, you, you can know. afford debt. We could never go into debt like that here. No, you know, it's it's just a very. That's one of the great things about travel, man, is all the different ways it makes you think about what you have yourself. Yeah, you yeah, know? it does. It opens it up. That's um, for sure. So, you mentioned the Louvre. I, I, oh yeah, I, I, I have to talk about. Him. I have to hit that, and for you, for you listeners who may find such a thing to be interesting. Um, as Steve mentioned earlier, the Louvre, the arguably world's most famous museum in Paris, has somewhat recently opened a museum or a branch in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Steve, have you been to the Louvre in Paris? I have not. I'm, I'll be going there, uh, l- luckily enough, in like uh, just a few weeks. For my very first time. I've never even been to uh, How France. wild is that that you're going to get the reverse comparison? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I'm really excited wow. to be able to... I think a lot of stuff is actually on loan, techni- depending on how you look at it. It's currently residing in 
the new Louvre in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. But obviously you'll still have... Uh, I have been to the Louvre in Paris, and you won't notice that anything's missing. Okay? <laughs> right, um, right. Just the Egyptian wing alone is indescribably massive. But was there an Egyptian wing at the Louvre Abu Dhabi? They did have... Uh, and what's interesting is they didn't divide it into parts of the world. They went with a unique idea of showing uh, artifacts from all over the world that are the same. So you'd, you started oh. off and it was like watering pots from all over the world. And then it was funeral masks and funeral preparations from all over the world. And then it was paintings and, and all these things. Sort of, it was to say, like, we are all unique and yet we're all dealing with the same yeah. ideas and problems. I really like it. And this is the different way we're doing it. I thought it was very interesting because it just had this sort of feeling of us as a global community, which um, I think is, is happening more and more. And we're doing this a lot more. It's interesting because like, I have some fierce social justice warriors on my... Um, you know, just in my social media circles and stuff like that. And people who are crying a lot about um, uh, uh, cultural appropriation and stuff like that. And um, and I understand their points on some aspects. Um, some aspects at the same time, I do, I definitely think, like from food angles, I love fusion restaurants. And I don't know if if I'm understanding cultural appropriation correctly. Yeah, I think if they're going after fusion restaurants, that's a little too... Yeah, yeah, that does seem justice a little... warrior. Too much for me, too. Yeah. Uh, because, man, if I can have a Asian taco, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the next thing they're going to say is if you have a mixed-breed dog, you should kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it seems to have gone a little far. And what I liked, and, I, and I'm not trying to make what the Louvre Abu Dhabi into some political statement. I guess I just did, so maybe I should retract well, that. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if you did. I think they're making one. I think they and, kind and, of are. And intentionally, to, ba based on what you've described, because that's certainly not a normal formula for a museum to follow. It, it was um, not. You know, they're pretty formulaic in the way they lay things out, and that's... I really appreciate that approach, and it makes me want to go see the exhibits. Yeah, yeah. It was really fun to see the different ways that we do things and the same ways we do yeah. things. And they, uh, and it was just very, And over like, time, too, right? Over how, time. What's stayed the same and what's changed and how even though it's changed, it's really the same, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good angle. Yeah. I like that they're doing that. And it was so, yeah, it was so uh, global and very, like... I don't know. I just, I liked it a lot to say that it's like, wow, somebody from the Middle East and somebody from the ancient Americas had the same thought. Yeah. For the course. same thing. Yeah. And, and some of the ways that we expressed the human form and painting and stuff like that and how that changed and came about and then how modern art sort of started to do what it the way they wanted to express themselves and I I loved it because I of course I haven't done very many jokes uh, this is probably one of the, the interesting things to find out about comedians Jim and I both do comedy is that uh, 
a lot of times comedians just want to talk and <laughs> be normal people and not make jokes. But as a comic, you know that we get, if you do a joke that is similar to someone else's joke, hack, that guy's the worst, yeah. he's hacking so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and I, I understand their immediate concern. But the ones who I've seen cry hack the most are usually open micers. I don't see a lot of professional comedians going, that guy's hack, this guy's hack, or whatever. I think they are all working, and I consider it to be like... So I went to a museum in Tampa uh, that's a Salvador Dali museum. And uh, they have an incredible collection there. It's like some family that puts it on. If you're ever in Tampa, go look it up. It's great. But noticed, I noticed that some of Dolly's early work was not like his melting clock right, yeah, phase right. at the end at all. Certainly not. It looked like Surat. It was very yeah. like, here's a, a farmhouse. And it's almost like this, like lots of brush strokes. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Because everything that he did later was very smooth and very like modern, sleek looking. Um, and so... It made me go, well, if Dali can admire Seurat and admire Picasso and then start to kind of go, well, I'm a mix of those guys. I feel as a comedian, I'm like, I can then go, I love Mike Birbiglia and I love, <laughs> uh, it's funny, I, I hesitate to say old school Bill Cosby, you know, people go, oh, you can't like him anymore, but his storytelling style I love or, or or honestly I think Kevin Hart to me is one of our best storytellers now people have comedy people have such strong opinions so it's hard to like bring up anything people go oh I don't like that I think Kevin Hart's awesome but um, and I I feel like it's totally acceptable for me to go I'm gonna I'm gonna take what I like from Kevin Hart I'm gonna take what I like from Mike Birbiglia and I'm gonna mix it together and I'm gonna find what Steve Solberg is you know and to me, that's what the Louvre Abu Dhabi also was featuring. Was going that we can learn and grow from each other. And, and that's where I hope cultural appropriation doesn't halt that progress. Because if you look at Petra, Petra started by the Nabataeans. Or, well, I guess it started... Yeah, they, they, they say that the Nabataeans sort of settled it. And the, the nomads, uh, the Arabian nomads and stuff like that and then the romans came in and that's when the columns start showing mm -hmm. up and the, yeah. the the uh what's it called at the top of the column where it's you know the triangles and stuff like that but um and but the the romans to me i don't think would have been petra wouldn't be what it was without the nabataeans and then the romans building on that and uh, yeah, it doesn't really seem to me to have that Roman a flavor, even. No, really. No, yeah, it's it's definitely more. I would say it's unique. The nomads, you know. Yeah, yeah. What? And it certainly has a desert feel. It does. It's. Um... I th I think what. I really feel like kind of what you're describing the exhibits at the Louvre outlining is that we all have common needs. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is how different cultures have addressed this common need throughout time, right? Right. Um, 
and if we all have common needs, what's cultural appropriation, right? And why does it even matter, really, as long as you're finding a way to meet these needs? You know? For sure. And I really that makes me really want to go see this museum. They did a great that's job. That's very much not the same thing as the Louvre Paris. Yeah. At all. Yeah. <laughs> they are very, um, it's interesting because when I was talking about the working class and stuff like that, it is the uh, the workers from Africa and from uh, Pakistan and stuff like that who are watching the exhibits and they are very like, really, don't touch. Really? Everything is definitely don't touch. Which uh, is fine, but we of course had two little, a four-year-old and a yeah. six-year-old with us, and they wanted to. If they're going to read the plaque, they want to lean their chin on the plaque. They don't know how to read, but that's how they <laughs> think reading would look. Is uh, and uh, they, they, we were told constantly, uh, "Please don't put your chin on that. Please don't this." Da, da, da. Wow, which it's, that is the same in Paris. Which was like, well, this isn't even the uh, this isn't the art, but right. they were like, yeah, but anything. But it is the rule. It is the rule. Yeah. Yeah, which is fine. Wow. So it's the it is the immigrant or migrant working class. Yeah. That does all of that. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that probably a the, pretty good job. Would you say they comprise the service industry? I think so. In large part? Definitely. Okay. I went on a I I know I'm hopping so much no, we're, everywhere, but I went on a we're run good here. when I was in uh I'm going to ask you about that, so. Dubai. <laughs> We went, uh, so after uh, Oman, we went, uh, well, I'll just go from where we went on a run. We were at Kite Beach in mm -hmm. Dubai, which is a great place to see a lot of, like, kite borders and stuff like that, and if it's a windy day, everybody takes their kites, um, and then uh, there's a running path that goes all the way down to uh, the Burj Al Arab, and I don't know oh, how much yeah. paths past uh kite beach it goes i mean it's it's long and um it's squishy it's like a soft like rubberized mm-hmm yeah i've i've run on some stuff like that in it's my life. really nice yeah and next to it is a boardwalk and the boardwalk is for people who are walking or on um a bike i think but the squishy stuff is just for runners and my younger brother and i are running along this path and we see people who are sweeping the running path because it's right next to the beach so there's some sand yeah. but it was just like uncommonly like you'd run into a sweeper every like quarter mile like wow there's a lot of people sweeping this goofy path and that is the uh, that's that working class that's out there just like huh. doing whatever so I think the ones who got to work at the Louvre, Robert, if you're part of the working class and you get to work at the Louvre, you've been bumped up. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, you're sweeping running. You're sweeping paths. sand off of yeah, off a of beach. <laughs> make sure the beach is nice and clean. Interesting. Yeah, you're talking to a guy who spent some time um, with the job of sweeping feathers out of a bird store. So ah. <laughs> um, I can relate exist. to the Sisyphean nonsensical nature of what those people have to do. They probably cut off one of their own hands to get the job at the Louvre. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then would get in there and find out that their job was to sweep, unfortunately, <laughs> at the Louvre, right? Um, yeah. So... When you were in Abu Dhabi, did you use public transport at all? 
Um, in Abu Dhabi, we didn't. Okay. No. Um, kind of interested in some comparison and contrast between... We did take a taxi to the airport, but yeah. that's not really... Not, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, and that taxi driver wasn't uh, an Emirati. No, I'm definitely sure. not. No, now, this brings us to an interesting point. When I was in Egypt, I had just been in Dubai, and I met a guy at my hotel in Egypt who had just come from Abu Dhabi. He'd just been there for a couple of weeks, and before that, he had spent a couple of weeks in Dubai, so he had just done the two before coming to where I was. And I told him that my impression was there was a certain sense of competition and one-upsmanship between Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Oh. And, uh, you know, competition for which location is glitzier, which location has the more advanced architecture, which location can bring in the most tourists from this or that destination, you know, or, or home port or whatever the case might be. And he said that he felt like that was unquestionably the case, that the two were competing. Did, do you have that sense at all? Um, I... I'm sure they are. I don't know. I would have to talk to a local, but I think that that is a thing yeah. for sure. Um, well, it seems like... But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Abu Dhabi has the feel of like, this is like, maybe more... I don't know. I want to say it's more government feel. I mean, the hmm. the Grand Mosque is there, the big Sheikh Zayed Mosque. Okay. I don't know that that's government, but it's not, but it does kind of have this, like, huh. more, like, that's a... That's like, a, a, like Abu Dhabi's more sponsored by the government, in a way? Yeah, yeah, okay. whereas, uh, whereas Dubai feels like it's more sponsored by capitalism. Yeah, free zone. Yeah. Right. Um, so you actually did the drive between the two points on Sheikh Zayed. Uh-huh. Right between Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Yeah, man, please tell me about that. I, that was something I really wished I had time to do when I was there. The drive there. Yeah. Now my understanding is that they have redone that road. It used to be uh, some of my brother's friends who have lived there for about twenty years said this used to be a two-way road. Just one road. That oh wow! You had, and it was not good, and it took a long time. Now it's a, it's a highway. The whole now way, it's right? like a four, yeah. five lane highway, um, and plenty of, like you can go plenty fast. So <laughs> it took us maybe an hour and a half, if that, maybe even a little less. Huh. And um, and then there's of course as you go along in Abu Dhabi, there's. Uh, trees along the highway and the reason is is they are there to block the sand from blowing okay over the highway sensible and so everything is on a drip line and they just have oh phew. they just have trees lining the highway now um on the road out from uh sheikh zayed out to uh dubai they have ridiculously giant billboards that are the sand block instead that just advertise okay. all the luxurious things. And they are huge. They're not billboards that you see, but they go right. from the ground, you know, 20, 30 feet up, and then huge murals of Sheikh Zayed along the side of them, uh, and then huge uh, advertisements for all these developments of where people can live. 
lots of really great lots of development usage of that utility i mean they've found a way to turn billboards and advertising into a utility to keep sand from blowing onto the freeways that's pretty yeah. impressive and they look nice you know? actually they don't look like just billboards do yeah. now this is also interesting to just because there's really not much else there if it wasn't built it would just be a big thing of sand you know yeah I mean, there's some areas where there's green. Um, downtown Abu Dhabi has a little bit of a preserve there where there's a bunch of flamingos and, and whatnot and little mangrove trees and things like that. Um, but other than that, there's not much water. So when we think of the fantastical, um, I call it Gulf crazy architecture of Dubai and Abu Dhabi, is it the same in both places in the sense that, you know, the stuff we really think of as tourists coming from a different part of the world is just really concentrated into one small area downtown? Is it like that in Abu Dhabi? Or is it the case that when you're driving Sheikh Zayed out through the desert, you can look off across the sand and see these amazing buildings? Uh, in Abu Dhabi, they have very, they do have a lot of unique buildings. Um, I didn't get a picture of this one, but they have the world's most leaning building in Abu Dhabi. And I intentionally. saw it and tried to take a picture of it from the road. Yeah, intentionally. Um, but I, I didn't get a good shot of it, unfortunately. Huh. But it is the world's most leaning building. Way more than the Leaning Tower of Pisa and all that. Hmm. And then um, there's a building close to where my brother lives that is just a large circle. Um, yeah, I, I believe I know that building. Yeah. Um, I want to say it's corporate. Yeah, right? it is. Right? It's a, it's a headquarters for a company, right? Um, I think, I think it's it like might a big, even it's, be like some government stuff oh, really? in there okay. as well. And you're talking, it's like a disc pushed up on edge, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My little brother calls it the Durham building. Um, I have photos of that one. It's I fascinating. Have. It's an absolutely fascinating building. I, I want it's one. It's pretty fun. <clears throat> Can it's I get a, it at Ikea? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's at Ikea. Oh, yeah. Here it is. This is it from the side there. Yes. That, big, that uh, is the place. <clears throat> disc looking guy. I think Apple might have taken some inspiration from that. It's a unique building for sure. It's pretty cool. Um, and, and for the listeners, um, it looks more or less like a giant alien UFO Oreo. <laughs> yeah, they're just silver colored, standing up on its side. They uh, they have some other buildings that has window shutters that open and close with the sun. Yeah, just automatically, and then um, and then of course they have that one. Uh, they have their own f super fancy hotel um, in Abu Dhabi that is what's it called? Um, but it's it's all gold. It's like a palace if i can find where that one is let's see you go past the do you mean as in it literally is or used to be a palace um i don't know if it ever was a palace maybe emirates palace this might be it because it is and the ins now i did not go to emirates palace on this trip is this it hmm I don't know if that's it. 
but it might be. Oh, <laughs> uh, that looks like something else. Uh-oh. Well, they had a gold ATM machine in this place that I went to last time. <laughs> Holy moly, this is way too fancy. This one might be just an overly fancy hotel, which oddly enough seems to be not as expensive to book as I thought. Just pulling it up here right now on uh, Expedia, our Google is giving me suggestions, giving me ads, and they have rooms as low as 243, 286, 425, 286. Anyways, I don't know if it will be actually that cheap, like if it's one of those situations where you go, hey, New York isn't as expensive as I thought, and you get there and they go, ah, it's 100, right. or it's 400 bucks. Right. But I think this might be it, Emirates Palace. It, I think it was like, um, this looks like it. Because I went there with my little brother last trip, and it was around uh, those three buildings that you see. Yeah, yeah, that totally is it. In uh, Fast and the Furious, whatever the most recent one was. Haven't seen it, man. They go to <clears throat> Abu Dhabi at one point, and they drive a sports car. <laughs> in between the buildings like one flies out from like the 56th floor and then lands on like the 45th floor of the of neighboring one does. you know and, like you uh, do and uh that is right across the street from this palace um i i got distracted though but what was the, what was the question that we were looking for we were talking about uh Oh, we were just on the architecture. Architecture. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be worth seeing it. And whether you can see it from Sheikh Zayed Road. The, uh... Oh, that's right. That's, yeah. On the drive. Emirates Palace is out on the Corniche, they call it. Okay. Sheikh Zayed Road, not a ton of architecture that you can see. Until you get into Dubai. Until you get into yeah. Dubai, yeah. All right. Um, in Abu Dhabi specifically... Uh, did you ever feel judged or disliked for being from the U.S.? Um, no. Yeah, I can't no. say I experienced that in the UAE either. Um, no. Like almost, like it couldn't have mattered less. Yeah, I don't think it did. You know? Yeah. Okay. Uh, good to know. Not the case in Egypt uh, when I was there, but yeah, in, in huh. UAE. Yeah, no, just like a, like everybody was the same, I guess. Other than I did notice that division between the, you know... Uh, servile classes, I'll say, and the sure. actual Emiratis. Yeah. Um, so, did you say you went to Wadi Rum? Yeah, yeah. Did you do their uh, the whole eco adventure uh, path the, the, and go rope climbing and all of that? We did not or do that. Did, did you just? We did do check a, it out visually. Uh, we did do a Bedouin camp. You did okay. So that was the next question, actually. Um, we went to, uh, let's see, we went, I mean, yeah, we drove from, let's see, we were up in a town, we were up in Amman, not Oman, but I'm, Am Amman, I'm Jordan. Pay attention, listeners. <laughs> and then um, drove all the way down to Wadi Rum, which was about a three and a half, maybe four hour drive. It was long. 
Uh, oh, you know what, though? We went, or? we went from Amman, sorry, we went from Amman to Petra, and that was a long drive, and then Petra down to Wadi Rum, and Petra to Wadi Rum was probably about, uh, gosh, two and a half, maybe three hours, and Amman to Petra was the three and a half, maybe four. Uh, Wadi Rum was awesome. That was uh, where we did the Bedouin camp. And that was where um, it's just these unique rock formations. If you've ever seen the yeah. movie The Martian, yeah, that's where it was filmed. And yeah. you get the feeling like this is Mars because it is so, it's very red. Like the, the sand is red. And then these more, more so than Petra, more so than that area. About the same okay. redness, actually. Maybe some areas a little more. I just don't know how much they colorized it or affected the color for the Martian, of course. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's pretty red. Um, there's some spots that are more of a white dirt. but okay. um, Wow. Uh, the, and they, our guide kind of took us through there. He's like, this is where the sand changes color. But the height of the mountains is what was so striking. Um, they were, he knew in meters... The highest peak was uh, 1,700 meters, huh. um, which is over a mile high. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's pretty high mountains. And I had the feeling that, at least on my watch, my watch told me the altitude. Um, I didn't have it calibrated, so I can't say it was always give or take a few hundred feet. But my watch was saying we were at about like 400 feet so we weren't very high so these wait no no my watch was saying we were at 1200 feet but i remember looking at it and saying these are still about a thousand foot cliffs kind of thing crazy and uh was it 1200 oh darn it i took photos of my watch i'll have to look at it later but i remember thinking these cliffs were uh well over a thousand feet high, which is pretty sheer uh, face. And then uh, they look really weathered from the sand and whatnot. They sometimes look like they were like melting. How beautiful. Just really cool place. If Anthony Gaudi had his own desert. Yeah. Um, so did you see like petroglyphs? Um, Can we go ahead and invent the, the pun petroglyph? <laughs> uh, from did, Petra, did, Petra. Uh, did you see petroglyphs at Wadi Rum? Um, there were some. Yeah, I can find them. In fact, and I'll, I'll show you the pictures of those later. But yeah, yeah, there were in very cool in uh, some of the little spots. There was where you could find water because that was always the question for me. Was like, yeah, the Bedouins used to travel through here all the time, but you get a feel for how vast this is. We traveled by right. jeep. Um, other people, you can do camel through there, and it looked like there were some people who were hiking as well. Um, huh. And there were spots where it was like, and this is a spring that they could have, but they must have taken huge uh, cistern-type things for yeah, their water. I mean, it had to be a gigantic... Uh, I don't know how yeah. they were able to fill up that much water, but apparently camels can carry a lot, so... They would load up these beasts with a ton of water and 
make their way. And, That's uh, a rough life. It, I, I imagine it was. That is tough, man. But it was very beautiful and very um, the, and and they were very fun. How old would the petroglyphs have been? These ones, um, I think they had said. Because a lot of what we would see, it would be like this is a display of a caravan of camels and stuff like that, and so a lot of them would be around. They had said like three to four hundred A.D. or even okay. uh, three to four hundred B.C., which I know is a huge swing. But they were like some were new and some right. were older, and, and stuff I mean, like that. you know, in she. <laughs> Gosh, man! In geological time, or in even even in human developmental time, it's not that's not that big a gap. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I think commonly archaeologists are probably off on petroglyphs by you know five or six hundred years. I'm sure it's not that uncommon, right? Um, so, folks, if you're paying attention, Steve has mentioned a couple of times that he went to Oman, not Amman, but Oman on this vacation as well as Abu Dhabi and Jordan. Um, Steve, I'm not familiar with Oman really at all, so I want to just give you free reign here to educate me and talk to the listeners and, and share your experiences in Oman. I assume you did not go to buy gasoline or oil. We did not, <laughs> yeah. And Oman is interesting because it's broken up um, actually by the Emirates. It almost ended up being one of the uh, seven Emirates, but uh, they eventually said no. And uh, <laughs> so Oman, you, if you look at the United Arab Emirates, you drive through a few different emirates to get there. So we start off in Abu Dhabi, and then we go through Dubai. And this is where Oman, the part of Oman that I visited, is here um, at the tip. So we passed through... There's Dubai, and then Umm al Quwain is a different emirate, and then Rash al Khaima is another one of the uh, emirates. We actually ended up staying the night in Umm al Quwain uh, because for some reason all the hotels in Oman were super expensive. Um, but my younger brother, one of his favorite uh, hotels to stay at, is uh, down here. You can see the Kassab Fort on the Google Maps if you're kind of looking and zooming in on uh, the tip of Oman. Now, further along the road here, let's see. Was it by the fort? Yeah, I believe there was a super nice hotel. It might even be called that one. Dwayne Al-Amir. Diwan, not Dwayne. I don't know. It's sometimes the things are hard to say, and again, some of this is on uh, Google Maps is coming up in Arabic, right? right. And so it's kind of hard to see. But they uh, they they always told me they love staying at these hotels. Super nice. So we drove pretty much straight to where we were going to go on a, a dolphin tour, and there's these um, these dolphin tours that come out of this port right here, right by the. It's called the Kassab Port, and there's tons of dolphin tours out there. Huh. And the best time if you want to... So not something I would have associated with the Gulf. Yeah, yeah. And these dolphins that you see in this area are only 
in sort of this Strait of Hormuz okay. area. Interesting. And um, that's awesome. They take you. We went out on it. We saw a, a few dolphins. My little brother was disappointed. They said, "Man, we we've done this tour quite a few times now, and we usually see a lot of them." And they realized that this was the only time that they'd ever gone in the afternoon. And every other time they'd gone in the morning, and the dolphins were a lot more active. I think that that's probably a thing that it, you're more huh. more likely to get a little bit more activity out of them in the morning. Now, what was interesting also is they take you back around the horn here and back into these little inlets. Through here, there are villages that are only accessible by boat, um, and these villages. Uh, they take a boat to come back to this little town of uh, Keda, and that's where they'll go to school, and or uh, or or Kasab. And they uh, so these kids live way the heck out here on these tiny villages where there's like 50, 60 people. Wow! And uh, they just fish all day, um, and that's sort of how these villages make their money is they'll sell uh, to the fish markets here and this of course will go further down as well now this is the sort of the smaller part of Oman is right here um, lots of different like mountains to explore and amazing beautiful hikes you can see Jebel Al Haram very popular uh, mountain hiking destination that uh, gives you these incredible views of the ocean. I'm not sure what that is there, but we didn't get to go. We didn't go on these huh. hikes. We didn't have much time. One of my other, one of my brother's other favorite spots to go is the other part of Oman. So you'd have to go through one of uh, the Emirates, Alain, um, and that's over here. And Muscat, very very wealthy area. Lots of hotels. And like, it's a beautiful seaside place to go. Um, I didn't get to go there, so I'm not sure why I'm bringing it up. But just if you ever were gonna say, I'm gonna visit Oman sometime, <laughs> uh, Muscat was really nice and super expensive. Um, and that was kind of where a lot of what I got a lot of um, uh, expats who were living in the Emirates would go out there. Um, like for holidays, for weekend stays? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they'd go out and huh. uh, just enjoy some fresh fish by the Gulf of Oman and have a fun time seeing Why not? all this different stuff out there. Yeah, a lot more mountains and things like that, which was kind of cool to see because Abu Dhabi and Dubai do not have that many mountains. Yeah, agree. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's also a spot that I know that my little brother likes to go. They'll go camping out in Oman uh, by some huge um, sand dunes. And I think the world's highest sand dune is out here somewhere. I need to ask him and, and maybe I'll, we'll get it from the, uh, the notes or something from him. But, but yeah, they always go camping out by the world's highest sand dune. And they'll hmm. go and he says, you'll try to run up it. And he's like, you can, you really never get to run the whole way yeah, before I you get exhausted. I wouldn't think so. I think that would be a really great athletic conditioning idea. But yeah. 
yeah. I wouldn't expect success. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's crazy. And and you're. Uh, it's crazy to me that your brother you know, goes camping out by a giant sand dune in Oman. Yeah, <laughs> and it's fun it's because wild, uh, it's it's like um, it's pretty warm, but at the same time, at night, he says it'll it'll get down. Oh He's yeah, like it's the only time I've ever been yeah. cold in in uh in the middle east is in the desert at night and he said it'll probably get down to 50 fahrenheit and to us he said where we're used to it getting as high as 120 or something like that 50 fahrenheit will yeah. feel really rough. really cold yeah um that's what it, it was really interesting to me that you mentioned going for a run when you were in dubai because you know when i was uh when I was in the UAE, and and uh, for our listeners, Steve and I both uh, are into adventure racing. Um, Steve can actually race at this point in his life where I more uh, study the events and try to keep as fit as I can. Um, I would not have been thinking, you know, man, I can't wait to go for a run. I would have been thinking, Yaz Waterworld, Yaz Waterworld, Yaz Waterworld, <laughs> you know? So yeah. good for you. Well, I was know, glad we stepping got stepping up and doing it. We had planned a different run actually. We didn't we ended up doing that one run that was from uh Kite Beach to uh down to the Burj Al Arab, but we really wanted to so run great. um over by the um uh, not the market, but the uh <coughs> What's it called? I just had a brain fart here where I can't think of what... When you have a lot of um, ships and stuff. Oh, at the, the marina. At the marina? That would yeah. be nice. That would be... Either <coughs> of these would be amazing to do, I think. Kind of down near old Dubai and stuff like that. We wanted to go run at the marina down there. And then um, we ended up doing this run right here, actually. We were kind of up by the Kite Beach and then uh, down to the Burj Al Arab. And you could see, so out in the ocean there, they've built a map of the world. Yeah, the world, yeah. And the interesting thing is further down the beach, they have the Jumeirah Palm. Sure. And at the end of the Palm Jumeirah is Atlantis, which is another huge hotel uh, slash water park out there. Um, It is not small, the Palm Jumeirah. I've driven out there, and it's huge. Uh, You don't feel like... I'm on a tiny spit of land. It's like, no, this is, there's substantial, there's enough room to walk around. And what is nuts about these is each of these palm fronds, which there's like, I don't know, like 14 of them, uh, is lined with buildings. Yeah. Uh, condos, hotels, yeah. and you think whatever it costs to make this gigantic palm tree, they are making their money back. I actually know somebody who used to be a realtor at the Palm. Oh, really? And when it was up, I was going to show you with a pointer. Yeah. The His office was here. Oh, down in the, uh, down in the trunk of the yeah. tree here. And he's, he's told me quite a bit about the place. And, um, yeah, they're doing okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're killing it. You know? You come up, uh, up the trunk, you have two-way, uh, there's one one-way traffic on one side and then another on the other uh which again is kind of part of the thing where you go they are not it's not easy to get around 
So if you're on this side and you go, I want to get over here, you got to go all the way up. Oh, no way. And then <laughs> around. I think you can. Are I, these people involved with Ikea? <laughs> they I'm must done, be. I'm going to bring that name up again. It's got What's be. up with getting you in and not letting you out? Come and, on. Yeah, we, uh, we, we wandered up to Atlantis the first time just because I wanted to see it. Sure. And we wandered around. Uh, it's, and then they have a fake beach that they've built. Right. Um, I think every, almost every feature that seems natural at the uh, Atlantis in the Bahamas is man-made. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I've 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 been there. Like the rocks. I didn't I stay there. Man-made. But uh, <laughs> I went to their little. Uh, they have uh, an aquarium, right? Yeah, that one. Yeah. And I wandered around the aquarium, but yeah, that's kind of how Abu Dhabi and Dubai are, where it's like, yep, if it's cool, it was built, but it was very, I mean, it still is, it's huge. And uh, I, I'm really just beginning to get the idea from what you're doing here, because that's just kinda... one small area on the trunk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, and this is... Uh, and, uh, oh, we're out on the ring. They kind of okay. have an outer ring yeah. there, and it doesn't look big. But if you go ahead and use your Google Maps or yeah. whatever, and zoom in and make That's it sideways, like Manhattan, it looks like Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, big Crazy. tall buildings that are packed full. I don't think I'll. Uh, I I don't know that I'll ever stay there to be honest. Uh, if I have some overabundance of money at some point. But it does have kind of a family feel as well, um, because of the like the water park and stuff like that, which I think would be fun. But you can guarantee you're going to be spending uh, your life savings. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I would think just to be there, you'd run through quite a bit of money. But yeah. you wouldn't be getting scammed every time you turned around. Yeah, you wouldn't have that. It would yeah. all be sort of a normal, no-haggle experience, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I think, though, you would still come out spending quite a bit more here. <laughs> you would still get Just taken. From the, from the look of this? Yeah. Hmm, like, imagine what it costs to park. Right. For example. Right. What, the, what is parking? Yeah. I don't know. It's insane, though. I've always said, uh, or I've, since I've been aware of the Palm anyway, and I'm sure you're well aware that they have this program there, if I ever do skydive, that's where I want to do it. Oh, yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. I don't plan to ever do it, but if I do, I think I want to do it there. Well, and so this area, we could see what, from our run, we could see that next to the Palm is the World Islands, and there were plenty of cranes out there, which makes me think yeah. that they're probably doing development out there and building... Well, the last I read up on it, um, or studied it at all, they were having some difficulty with the world and some of the islands sinking. Sinking in. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Um, and and ju- just uh, for any listeners who may ever go to Dubai, I want to touch a little bit on what Steve just said about all of the cranes being out um, on the islands where they're doing the world. Um, I would extend that experience, or that observation rather, to all of Dubai. Uh, there were cranes everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the most fascinating things to me about Dubai was flying in and out and seeing how much infrastructure they've laid out into the deep 
deep, deep desert. That is a place with plans to grow and a place that's already putting in the framework for the growth to happen. It's really amazing. I, I don't think I've seen anything like it anywhere else. I, I think, I want to say somebody told me that 80% of the world's construction cranes are in Dubai. Are in Dubai. Wow. And uh, I would believe it. I just, from the number I saw, and, and what's interesting is they actually don't get in the way. They're not an obstruction, you know, that makes you unhappy while you're there. Um, but I would believe that. It blew me away because in Manhattan you're walking around and you're constantly walking under scaffolding. Yeah. And A lot uh, of Europe, too. I don't know why you don't feel that way in Dubai as much. I, mean, I think it, they build differently yeah. and they build a lot more quickly. Yeah. And you know? I think they might also have space to... to uh, and there's also... Space talk while I was there that they are planning on the new world's tallest building which will supersede the one that is now being built in Saudi Arabia Yeah, that's going to be a thousand meters high currently the world's tallest building 800 something meters high I think it's like 860 or something and it is a ridiculous monolith I mean you it stands out and looks twice the height of any other building in its yeah. sector um, so, and a thousand, over a thousand meters would be absurd, but they are planning on building it. And again, even further up the, uh, the, uh, city there. So, so originally downtown Dubai was kind of further south and now where the, uh, the Burj Khalifa is, was kind of. Let's see, where is the Burj Khalifa? But it wasn't traditionally where... Uh, yeah, I actually... Um, I know what you mean. A cabbie showed me, and I took a picture of it, uh, the building where that part of the construction boom actually began. Right. Uh, and it, it is in a different neighborhood. And then there's a, a new neighborhood that they're going to try to start building. Yeah, okay, so here's... Oh, are they calling it... No, that's the name of the street. Uh, well, I think they're looking at uh, building a new super tall building right the, by the wildlife sanctuary. <laughs> or, or at least <laughs> o overlooking it. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, over here. So they're, I think they're looking at this sector to build the new super tall building, and it'll look over the uh, Ra's al Khor Wildlife Sanctuary. Wildlife Sanctuary, world's tallest building. The duality of the Emirates. I know, right? Yeah, which is, actually is not too far from the uh, airport. Nice. Which, that would be kind of fun to fly into. Um, my folks visited my little brother out here, and they flew into Dubai. I would love to see the, the shots from the airplane of the city. Uh, I can show you a few later. Because that huge building is ridiculous. But anyways, I'm I'm playing with my phone trying to look at maps, <laughs> which maybe isn't as exciting on a podcast. But. Well, uh, we're pretty much at the end. I mean, we've covered a lot. If there's, uh, Is there one big overall takeaway from the whole trip that uh, you'd like to share? Uh, I mean, I think we touched on so many that I thought was important because 
one of the things that just touched me the most was seeing how compassionate uh, they were to my nieces. Yeah. Where people from very sweet. the Middle East were just these loving people. And on my flight home uh, from Abu Dhabi, I r- routed through Amsterdam, and I sat next to a gentleman from Lebanon. And he actually lived in Toronto, uh, but had mentioned to me, he goes, yeah, before I left Lebanon, and then I lived in uh, Abu Dhabi for eight years. And he's like, and now I'm in Toronto. And he had mentioned that there was, you know, more Lebanese people outside of Lebanon than in Lebanon. Um, But what he said, he found that the further east he went, the more affectionate and kind of outwardly loving people were. It wasn't uncommon to see two men walking down the street holding hands. Um, And now... That was just a common thing. Now, I would never hold hands with one of my bros. It just wouldn't right. feel right. Right. Um, and I don't know if I'm not going to, just because it's my background, I'm not going to start doing that either. But I wonder if I were raised where that type of affection and that type of human contact were normal, um, what differences would it have in sort of just my response to stress and my response to different things where I feel like everybody is someone that I should be close with and physically connected to. Uh, And I I don't know. I just think that's interesting that he said, I find the East to be much more warm than the West. Whereas I think we love to think of ourselves as loving Um, people. Yeah, I, I, I know some people who are very experienced travelers in that part of the world who are mm-hmm. from here um, who would resoundingly echo that sentiment. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, who very much prefer traveling that part of the world than any other part for that very specific reason. It's you know? so interesting. Because... And, uh, and I, could, I could maybe even see that because we, we're... What's portrayed... His words were... He goes, what the media loves to portray are the rednecks of the Middle East. And I thought that was a very funny way of saying that. That's brilliant. Uh, And he said, you guys see our worst people always. And you didn't get to see all of our people who are very loving, very inviting, and very accommodating as well. Yeah. He goes, if you go to the grocery store in the Middle East, you will find a Western food section. And he said, if I go to the U.S., I really have to kind of hunt out. Yeah, right. Maybe even Um, do some research in advance. Yeah, yeah. And go, oh, well, this store will have it um, to find something. Now, some of that is supply and demand. Um, But uh, also, it's interesting that they are going to try very hard to accommodate and make us feel at home in their country and stuff like that. So. yeah, I've experienced it as well. That people went out of their way just to be good to me. Yeah. Even if I was already having a good time. Yeah. You know, if somebody saw a way to improve it, it was getting improved. Yeah. You know, very, very. It, it was a very closely personal society and experience. I think so. I think. Yeah. Know? And I'm very delighted that you got to come home with that same perspective yeah you know let's let's go ahead and wrap it up there 
Yeah, I think it's great. Um, Places are a lot friendlier and more accommodating and loving to you than they might appear to be in the media. Amen to that, yep. Everybody have a good one. Steve Solberg, Travel Commando, out. Thank you.